Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Fly Cool Shit powered by Lyft. Speaking of Lyft, head on over to www.liftaviationusa.com. Show them some love, buy some shoes, some shirts, a helmet, whatever you need. Use the promo code FLYCOOLSHIT at checkout for 25% off your order. Um, you can do that for just about everything except for helmets. Uh, we've been getting a lot of feedback. They've been, the promo code's been used. People are buying stuff. And uh, it sounds like the feedback's really, really good. So we really appreciate you guys supporting brands that support us. Uh, that helps us continue to do the podcast. Speaking of the podcast, let's get into it. Welcome to Fly Cool Shit. The show where Jeff Petro and Mark Pollard talk about aerobatics, unique airplanes, aviation news, and so much more. Hey pilot, you're cleared to enter the box. Smoke on. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Fly Cool Shit. What up, Jeffrey P.? Hey, not much. Um, this is a, a really cool episode. It's, you know, we're really getting professional and serious. Did you pass the, uh, that background check that, you know, I had secret service show up to my house. Did you, uh, there's, a, did you there's pass two snipers on my roof right now. Um, yeah. Scouting the area. Um, I've had people uh, just in and out black, you know, black, uh, black suits, uh, asking me all kinds of weird questions and it's gotta yeah. be because of our guest. Yeah. I mean, I, the last thing they want this, to uh, occur here is uh, WikiLeaks. We don't want any of that. Um, yeah, yeah. So you know we're gonna try to try to be uh, good boys here. Um, but yeah, it was it was uh it's exciting. I mean, you know, have such a high profile guest on the show. Yeah, yeah. You wanna um, uh, you wanna cue the uh, cue the music? I think we should. I mean, it, it deserves a proper introduction. Yeah. I hope everybody is standing right now that is uh, listening to this to, uh, you know, pay respect to uh, we get Jim Burke. Find the nearest flag, salute, hand over the heart. Should we just let it play for like hours on repeat? <laughs> for the whole show. <laughs> 16 and minutes. Show, everybody. <laughs> we have the IAC president, Jim Burke. Hello. Jim. Hi. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, great well, to be here. Thank you. That was that welcome. was a nice, uh, serious tone to the beginning of this. I, <laughs> I hope it bodes well for us. Do they play the that every time? There's very an, high, as you can tell. Every time there's an ISC board meeting and you walk in, do they play that song? Because if I was the ISC president, I would demand <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it doesn't. It doesn't go like that. No. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Well, we're super excited to have you on. We've been talking about um, getting you on for for a long time. We have so many things to talk about. Um, we talked a little off air um, about how you know you're a man of many hats, and so um, we're super excited to get your take on a lot of things from the different perspectives of you know being a uh, an enthusiast, uh, an av geek, and a, a competitor, an airshow pilot, and president of the International Aerobatic Club. So we're super happy to have you on. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's it's like, to be where here. do we begin? I mean, I was gonna start talking about the uh, Yak fifty four, but then you know, in our our green room, um, you had mentioned that you had the prototype prototype SBOC, and that there's got to be a, a a cool little story to that, which is for sale, by the way, right now. Yeah, it is. 
Yeah, well, the S-Block came um, after the Yak-54. The Yak-54 is the first uh, aircraft I actually ever bought, which is kind of crazy, I know. But yeah. my dad, he sold airplanes um, when I was growing up, so I was around them all the time. And I'd already flown the Cessnas and Citabrias and things when I you know, had, was finally able to buy my own airplane. And it just at some point, I realized I had enough money and really wanted to get into flying real airplanes because I'd been flying aerobatics with RC planes for so long. And um, the, the Yak-54 was on the cover of the real flight box at that time. Yeah. And that, that, you, in fact, that you designed real flight, right? Well, you know, I, I didn't, I can't say, I, I can't say totally that's true because uh, I bought the company. Uh, the original designer is a guy named Scott and a friend of mine here in, in this t- same town. I bought the company from him. He did the original design work. He had a small team of people working, but um, I've taken it to where it is, I think is a fair thing to say. And would you um, say you bought that Yak-54 because it was in real flight? I mean, because that's yeah, everybody well, that knows real flight knows that Yak and the paint scheme. I know. Yeah. yeah. I, I just love the plane. I love flying it. I love setting it up. I did the, a lot of the physics work or the aircraft setup especially. Um, and I really enjoyed getting that one tuned. And um, I ended up uh, having conversations with the guy who flew that in real life. His name was Eric Beard. And he passed away. Eric in, Beard. In, yeah. He passed away in an aviation accident. It wasn't related to this airplane. But um but I talked to him several times because uh, he had seen the ads where we had this break apart technology of the aircraft and um, the wing was popping off of his aircraft. And that was his plane. And he called me and was like, hey, can you use, use a different color scheme? Because that actually kind of bugs me to see that that plane with the wing popping off. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, that's a good point. You know, I can see where you're coming from. Yeah, sure. So we changed the color scheme on it. And then sadly, Eric passed away and the plane came up for sale and it just seemed like it was fitting. It was right. I really wanted to, to buy it partly to help the widow out. But also because I just thought it was an incredible badass airplane, and it really was. I I really love that airplane. I still love that airplane. That plane um, on the ground, it's it's just a beast. It just looks like a beast. I it I've heard it's a beautiful airplane. It, it I've heard it flies like dog shit. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, that is my opinion, and I stick to it. But you you have more experience in that airplane than I do. I've only flown the fifty four. Yeah, uh, like once or twice, and it was yours. Yeah. I, fl- I flew it uh, when it when when. Uh, gosh, maybe it was after uh, Rich bought it from you. Um, I uh-huh. can't remember, um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a unique airplane. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's um, you know I try to be nice about airplanes. It's hard to design an airplane, uh, but it it doesn't fly as well as a lot of airplanes we have available today. I'll agree with that. It's especially in roll. It just doesn't have really good roll characteristics. And in fact, if you if you're able to see a uh, a video of Eric's air show you'll see he doesn't do point rolls he didn't do point rolls yeah and there's a real good reason for that if you try and do point rolls in it. it and it's really just um has opposite coupling from uh yaw to roll i did yeah. try and fix that with the spade angles and, and got a lot better um yeah. and i don't want to bore everybody with all the details of that airplane but it was a really really neat project and i put quite a bit of money and time into it and got it really beautiful and i planned to keep it but then i got involved in the sbock and that was just a better airplane and and I, at some point i realized i wasn't going to fly the the yak 54 and it, I moved on from it, but flying it was um, was just a really cool thing. Like kind of like a, a, in between a warbird, like I felt like you're in a, a bearcat, you know, yeah, it didn't oh, look cool. like you're in an aerobatic plane. It, it really handles more like a warbird, mm-hmm. uh, good or bad. Um, but um, that's you're a fair a big, assessment. Yeah, yeah that's it's, it's sort of a big soup can. Can't really see out the front, and uh, it's got that mid wing. You can't really see beneath you either. Um, mm-hmm. It's got a window in the bottom, but it's always clouded up with all the oil that's coming off the radial engines. You can't see out of that, you know. <laughs> Um, and it was really great for pulling and pushing. And I learned a lot from flying it. I learned everything about my primary aerobatics, really. Yeah. From flying that airplane. You know what's interesting about the 54 is that they, it seems like they built a ton of Yak 55s. And there's only, 
I, I don't, I never researched, but just from looking online a little bit, maybe like a dozen Yak 54s, if that. There's less, yeah, I think. Right. Yeah, they had, and the, I think uh, four of them have gone in in fatality accidents. And so it doesn't have a great track record. But I'll say that I yeah. don't think the aircraft is dangerous. It's not no, like that. It's just ball. weird that they didn't produce a lot relative to, to the 55, because usually two seaters are, are more produced than a single seat. In this case, they had uh, they had some issues um, with the flap run mechanism when they first developed it that took the life of a pilot in Russia. They removed that um, as a service bulletin from all the aircraft, which made it a lot safer. But then they had a spar issue that grounded all the aircraft. And there's, I think currently, I think there's only one flying. It's in Australia and the one in the U.S. if that's flying again. Uh, yeah, so the one in Florida. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's, yeah. Just had a, it's just one of these planes that just had a really unfortunate uh, record. But there's a beautiful design, and I think it flies uh, well gorgeous. enough. I think it made fly well enough, even if it doesn't fly well enough out of the factory. Yeah, and if I understand correctly, um, they they built the 55 first, and then built the 54 to train pilots uh, before coaching them in the 55. If I if, if, do, I have that correct? Yeah, I, I actually don't know that that answer. I thought I thought the 55 might have been first. I don't know, but um, you know, in any case, um, they just didn't get. They probably hit the mark at the wrong time with the 54s. A lot of titanium is a really neat design. It was a much cleaner design than the 55. You can't compare them. Yeah. No, they're, they're almost completely different airplanes. Yeah, very different airplanes. Flush riveted, not uh, you know, not the big bumpy rivets all over the place like on the 55. Yeah. And no fabric. It's um, it's all metal skinned. Um, but uh, you know, it was going to be a like a budget option compared to the Sukhoi 29. But at the time this came out in '96, I think it was. Um, they they really. The, the lifespan of on the market of this 29 was basically over two. You know, none of these planes, those designs uh, lived after that. People just didn't need them. And they went on to the extras and the composite aircraft became the norm after that. So it just kind of didn't have a place. Yeah. Interesting. And then yeah. how'd you come across this SBOC? Cause there's, that's another airplane that just wasn't stateside at the time. Um, yeah. From what I understand. Yeah, well, that only a handful and, uh, came, came across, right? Like maybe like four. Xbox five, uh, or well, I, I guess know, it depends I, on the model, but I think if you add up the extremes that uh, came after that, the re, you know, the rebranding as extreme, um, yeah, more than that, yeah. whatever, then that, that, I think there's more of them. The Xbox was the prototype and it was, um, so it's kind of a tough story to tell cause it didn't work out very well for me and there's no hard feelings left any, anymore on my part. I don't think anyone's parts, but it's just a story, uh, that, um, at that time, there was the MX and um, the SBOC and the Velox and a, a, several other aircraft came out. There were the composite aircraft that were sort of pretty obviously the future of the sport. And um, I got uh, really excited about the MX, got excited about all these new designs and yeah. met a pilot, uh, here, a guy who has some family in the area here named Doug Jardine. And mm -hmm. he mentioned, hey, I've been flying this thing called the SBOC. You should really get into that. And in retrospect, you know, if I could run my life over again, if I had jumped to the MX at that point, it would have been a better decision knowing what we know now. But sure, hindsight. Yeah, but Philip Steinbach is an incredible designer. Clearly, you can see what he's done with the game bird. Yeah, he probably, really he showed up. He had his flowing hair, ponytail. Yeah, how, do, yeah. how do you say no to uh, that? That's right. He just seduced <laughs> me. But no, really, he was, <laughs> I, he, he was an RC guy and uh, was a good designer, had worked at Extra, had come up with a, the, a really great design and had a story about producing this thing in, um, in you know, in bulk you know, being able to produce it with a factory in Germany that looked at the time like a much better story than what MX had. Um, so I went to Germany to visit with him and uh, the owner of the factory there and came away with a deal to be the U.S. agent for SBOC and purchased the SBOC 342 prototype from Kevin Eldridge, who you might know from air shows. He flies uh, relentless. Yep. Uh, yeah. And a uh, good guy. You know, everybody's such, everybody's such great people. 
so I bought that aircraft and, and unfortunately, I think three or four months later, um, on a ferry accident, uh, it was a, an accident during a ferry flight with Doug and Doug came out of it. Okay. But the aircraft was uh, totaled out. And at that same time, they had a lot of problems at the factory and just were having trouble uh, making the sales quotas they needed to make money. And the, the whole thing pretty much dissolved after that. They sold, I think, to some Chinese group and became Extreme Air and, and have um, been able to produce aircraft. But really what's happened with all that is Philips moved on and, and designed the Game Bird. And that would be the one to, to go with now, I think. Yeah, which I definitely want to touch on that later. Um, yeah. And the SBOC is really cool. They, it's such a different thing than the Yak-54. The SBOC is an incredibly stiff aircraft, the Extreme Air as well. Very, very stiff. And the Game Bird is, is stiff also. So it, it has some really neat characteristics compared to what you might be used to flying. It's just a very rigid aircraft. So you really notice that when you fly. And yeah. I, I can't put that into words. You have to experience it. But it's a neat plane because of that. And very maneuverable, of course, and, and sexy as hell. I mean, it's an amazing Oh, my God, yeah. yeah. So yeah. you mentioned the Velox. Um, have yeah. you, you know, I'll be so, so curious. Well, so have you flown the, uh, the Velox at all? I haven't. I'm so curious at how that airplane flies, but you know, you kind of look at these. So you, you watch kind of a, I won't say a, a quantum shift or a quantum leap, but kind of, um, from, uh, the brute Russian force metal, uh, radial to mm-hmm. composites, more aerodynamic, higher, you know, higher energy, uh, aerobatic platforms. What do you think, you know, cause you, you kind of live in this space of looking, looking in terms of the future. What do you think the next quantum leap in these aerobatic airplanes are going to be? Well, if it's not power plant, I think we're sort of optimizing the airframe. So I would have to say it must be power plant. The airframes yeah. can get a little bit lighter, but if you start looking at um, even, okay, even um, I have a really good friend here in Oregon named Tony Horvath who runs Specialty Aero and he builds airplanes. He's in fact uh, building a whole, whole bulldog for me right now. I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But, uh, but Tony has just recently finished a, a sort of his version of the Pitts S111B. And I, I can't even take a picture of it to do it justice. He does amazing work, but Anyway, the frame of that aircraft is only like 60 or 70 pounds. You know, you start adding everything together Jeez. and it gets to 1,100 pounds with the engine. You're going to yeah. have a hard time saving weight from there. And eventually yeah. you're going to get to where you're just causing, you know, maintenance problems down the road or, or safety issues. So we're sort of at the place where, you know, the Giles 300 was very light. It was 1,100 maybe pounds, something like that. The That S111 is 1,100 some pounds, I think. You know, uh, Rob's uh, MXS, the old one that he had, he always told me it was 1185 and I used to joke, it's too bad it wasn't 1186 pounds because it would have saved you a lot of trouble here and there, you know, it was just a little <laughs> bit too light. So there's a point at which you can't get any lighter and you really yeah. can't, can't, don't need it to be any stronger. So I think the only thing that's really left is, um, is probably um, power plant. And then you could do some interesting, you could learn more about the control services, which I've experimented with quite a bit and find out more about, um, you know, what would get you the most, uh, the best freestyle performance. But for a resty, I just recently backed off some of the changes I made to my extra just in fact two days ago because it's just not possible to fly precise arresty sequences with the control throws and the surfaces that I had on my extra. I had to back it off a little bit. So you reach limits there. Sure. Can I um can I be bold and say what I think the next quantum leap's gonna be? Yeah, I'd love it. Go ahead. So I agree with you. I think it's power plant. I think it's electric. I think yeah. I think I think that's gonna be the next um major shift in in aerobatic performances is going to be electric. Well, uh, I certainly agree with you. It's just, a, unfortunately, we are a long ways, ways away, away. Yeah. In, in, for, for a bunch of reasons that are probably more, maybe more complicated than people that listen to this want to hear. But um, but uh, fundamentally, you can get a crap ton. Uh, that's a, a metric unit. Metric, yep, yep. Yeah. A crap a ton of power yep. Yep, out of an electric <clears> motor. <throat> um, 
if as long as you don't care about flying for more than about 20 minutes, you can get an yeah. amazing amount of torque and power out of an electric motor. And that's really what we need. And I've, I've thought about this for a long time. You know, I did a lot of work with electric airplanes before that was popular when we, back when we had to make our own speed controls and things like that. Sure. And uh, I've been involved in that for a long time. And I've always, I've had many notes I've taken over the years about designing electric airplane. I've researched the batteries and motors, you know, 20 years ago to see about the viability. In fact, at that time, I thought I would buy a, a Cassett, a Formula One race plane and make it into an electric plane. But oh, cool. the, there's, and it's not that you can't do it, by the way, you can do it now, but the inconvenience of it, people don't really realize how inconvenient it is until they run the numbers on it and imagine trying to charge the batteries or swap them out and, um, and not being able to fly no matter what for longer than, you know, 15 or 20 minutes. That's, that's yeah. dangerous for one thing. Yeah. There's no endurance. But, yeah. There's no endurance and there, and there won't be for, for, we're not even close to having that endurance. Um, I don't know if you guys saw my post on Facebook a while back, but, um, I bring this up a lot because when you get a, a car to 60 miles an hour, it might take a lot of horsepower to get it there quickly. But once it's there, it only needs about 15 horsepower to stay there. And an airplane, we're using 300 horsepower all the time. All the so time. You really can't compare a car to an airplane. We have uh, huge power requirements. And it yeah. takes about eight times the power to go twice as fast in an airplane. People don't realize that. So it, to go yeah. 200 knots in an airplane is at least eight times the power of going hundred knots. It's very, very expensive in terms of power, um, to, you know, to an energy to, to have something that's going very, very fast to the sky, like an airplane does climbing and diving. We just aren't close, unfortunately. Yeah. And there's no way to, um, like some of these cars have like, um, you know, generators in the, in the wheels to rejuvenate or at least, um, mitigate, uh, battery drain. There's nothing like that in air aircraft technology yet, uh, to where you can dive and have something, you know, have the batteries, you know, <laughs> Charge yeah, a little bit, or you could you could uh, you could do regenerative uh, on uh, you know gain on the uh, propeller, but the, but the problem is fundamentally you're climbing and diving like two thousand feet up and down. I just start working on the you know the the work that that is, yeah. And, uh, the power has to come uh, to the propeller somehow, and then it drains the battery at a certain rate, and you're basically left with very little uh, time to fly the aircraft, and, and it's expensive. You know, Extra did this; they made a they had a partnership, I think, it was with Siemens. Siemens. And they made an yeah. electric extra. They, they had plans to bring it to Oshkosh. And of course, you probably realize it never showed up there. I didn't yeah. haven't talked to them about it, but I'm sure that at some point, the viability of it just as a product just became, it clearly wasn't there. And they just decided not to, to pursue it. And I, if talked you to Eric, I talked to Eric extra about it a little bit. And I can't remember the reason why, and I'm not even sure I'm supposed to share, um, but oh. it was a bummer to see that that project was scrapped because I think they towed a glider with it too. Um, they were doing all kinds of stuff. Um with that project. And I, I just can't remember why they said it. They, they ended up scrapping it. Yeah. I, I emailed a massive, I could fly it and didn't hear back from him. So I don't know. <laughs> it would be really <laughs> cool. To fly. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be really cool to fly. I'd love to do it someday. I'm sure. I'm sure hopefully in my lifetime we'll get it done. and It'll be fun, but I don't think it's probably going to be something that people are going to want to buy for a while. I wonder if, uh, you know, eventually, uh, you know, in, in the way of composites, you can get, you know, really efficient, um, solar, composites you know to where you basically make the airplane one giant solar panel and then yeah i don't know yeah it won't work. unfortunately you maybe you could try that but it's um well i don't i don't know how much like i said how much detail you want to get into but you have the area of the aircraft to consider and how much area um, how much energy you can produce off of that area with solar is just very very small it's yeah. not a, i wish there was a good solution i always joke that i would just uh buy a truck with a big generator and a trailer and put my airplane there and tow it to air shows and pull it out and 
you know, and have some solar panels on top. So people would think it was solar charged, but really be a generator, <laughs> there, you know, you'd yeah. get people like, yeah, this is really great. It's green, but you'd be burning gas in the ground instead of in the air. It'd be way less efficient, <laughs> but, but, but it would be really cool, you know? And I think people like cool things, whether they're, it doesn't matter if they make sense, you know, it's cool as heck. So why not do it? And someday it's gotta be done. Well, in 20 minutes, you know, that's, that's kind of a magic number. You know, it you is. could, you could compete that way and you could do an air show routine that way. Um, yeah, you don't, don't have much options, uh, for, you know, any kind of contingencies or, or, or very little contingency planning, but, um, I feel like you could pull that off. Yeah. One, one thing that I've, uh, that I've, I think somewhere like, 30 years ago, probably, I probably have some post internet about this, that um, at some point we, we could end up having the batteries become the structure. And that's, a, that's within our technical, technological grasp. So if we can make it so the batteries can bear loads, if they're built into the structures so that they basically replace the composite, and uh, you have a, an aircraft that is a battery, and that can be done safely, then you have a chance to save the weight. You could, do, you know, you could um, take all the weight that's battery currently and use it for the structures. So you end up getting free battery, you know, at yeah. that point you probably can make a really viable aircraft a lot sooner, but we don't have a, well, there are ways to do that, but we don't have a way to do that, that someone could actually, you know, produce it right now, but it, it, it could happen. Yeah. I'm crossing my fingers. There you go. Well, that's, I think maybe <laughs> the future, but we're not, unfortunately probably maybe not in my lifetime uh, that could happen. For you think everybody. it's going to be that far away? Yeah. Well, even if it yeah. did, I'm, I'm sorry to sound pessimistic, but even if it did happen, you still have to deliver power to everybody's homes or, or hangars to charge the aircraft. Yeah. Up a period of time. And, the infrastructure is not there for that. So, I mean, there's a lot of complications to talk through. That's uh, true. Yeah. 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 The, the fact of, of getting, uh, of having an airplane fly on a battery is almost, uh, it's almost a minuscule part That's of right. the equation. It's like the, <laughs> the smallest percentage of problem. <laughs> yeah. And I faced those things when I did, I used to do quarter scale and one third scale models with electric power. And it was the same problem. It's opened my eyes in the nineties. Like, Oh wait, now I have to charge this stupid thing. And I want to go to the field and fly like three times. I can't, I don't want to take like, you know, 60 pounds of batteries with me. It doesn't, yeah. it's, it's silly, you know? So you start, when you start playing with the bigger and bigger stuff, you start realizing how, you know, to get three or four horsepower for your flight is a lot of work and let yeah. alone get 300. And uh, then again, you know, it's getting easier. Tesla's making, Tesla's proving things that I didn't think would happen. And they're making um, uh, leaps and bounds of, of uh, you know, technological changes. So, Maybe it'll happen sooner, but I'm, I'm at where I'm at right now. That's kind of my best guess. Yeah. That's sorry. No, that's, this is what a downer. This is terrible. Why'd you bring us on this? <sighs> We're all depressed. I say, gosh, I feel like I want to walk into like a COVID hotspot and kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's get, let's get back into Hunter Lowled burning. <laughs> um, oh, thanks. Thanks for that, Mark. <laughs> all right. All right. Sorry. Sorry. Um, can you run down? Uh, so, the Yak 54 was the first aerobatic plane you bought. Yeah. Can you run through the fleet of airplanes yeah. that you, you've uh, kind of uh, you've kind of gone through and then what you have now and what you're yeah, getting? Not, not as many as it might seem, I suppose, because I had the Yak 54, I had the S-Bach, and then I had, um, uh, well, then I went to the Extreme Decathlon. Ooh. I bought one of the first yeah. new Extreme Decathlons. Yeah, uh, which is a real, real cool airplane. Do you think that that extreme is worth getting over a super decathlon? Well, you're putting me in a in a, in a difficult yeah spot. <laughs> on record. <laughs> it depends. It depends on what you want. The, the extreme decathlon is is far more capable than the super decathlon. It is it is sort of like um, it's almost getting the Pitts S one C territory. You know, yeah. you could really, really? Fly, yeah, you could fly an intermediate um, successfully. 
Um, but it's very, I've flown the super and intermediate. Um, it, it can be done. It's totally, totally doable. But the, especially now that we've made intermediate easier. But uh, the, the extreme is just, it climbs so much better and it rolls so much faster. And, you know, it's like, I can't remember, maybe it's um, only 30 or 40 degrees per second faster roll rate, but that's, that's a, a lot, lot though. For the, yeah, it's a lot. It's yeah. Lot. It really changes things. The box just feels a lot bigger when you're flying the extreme. Um, yeah. Especially like, gonna, you know, I, I, high density altitude, you need that. I mean, you know, yeah. quote unquote, you need, but like it helps a lot when you're flying on a hot day in a super D yeah. to have an extra, you know, that extra stuff with it. So, I mean, I would, if I could afford it or if I was in that position where it was like a little bit more for an extreme, I would probably go to the extreme. And I, and I did have, um, I did have fun flying advanced sequences with it. I did that. I didn't actually compete. I, I had planned to, but, um, I didn't do it, but I, I, was able to fly through several advanced sequences and felt like I could go and give it a, you know, give it a shot. The trick uh, flying a decathlon or an extreme or any of those aircraft at a contest is just to uh, accept that you're not going to make it through every figure perfectly and find ways to adjust them or even just take a zero. I took a zero. Yeah. I think one time I, you know, I tried, but I knew I couldn't do it. So um, it was, and I just, I just survived and managed to win without getting all the points geez. I could have, you know, that's the, that's the only strategy you can take. So who do you think is the, um, who do you think is the best current, Super decathlon pilot, and uh, why would you say Mike Lentz? Yeah, it, it probably would be Mike <laughs> Lentz. I this is uh, a silly question because it's Mike Lentz, and then he he just he just nailed it. I haven't yeah. seen anyone fly the decathlon as well as Paul Thompson, who is no longer flying the decathlon, but he crushed everybody in sportsman a couple times. Um, maybe 2016 or something was the last time he competed in sportsman. He's a fantastic pilot, and he flew with a different style than most people do in, in the decathlon. He flew his figures at a lower airspeed. And kind of made you angry as a judge because there just really wasn't any way to find a deduction. But you just were looking. Oh, that, that was it. it I, like it, I heard was, it was because he had a free that was like unbeatable. That's true too. He had a very, very yeah. I think the free had like three turns in it. You know, <laughs> like a ninety. <laughs> I mean, it's so annoying. <laughs> but you know, that's just part of the strategy, I guess. I, we, I think we may have changed the rules since then. Maybe you can't. I can't remember. Maybe you can't uh, do that same free anymore. But regardless, um, it, you can't take anything away from his ability to fly the decathlon. It was ex- exceptional. And Michael's a, a fantastic pilot and a great guy. And I, I would say, yeah, he probably right now, he probably is about the best. <sighs> love it. Yeah, we love Mike. He's such a down-to-earth yeah, guy and, he and, is. and such a good guy to be around. And, and I he's actually called the, him, um, I think, last night and said, how the hell do you snap a decathlon? Because I hadn't done it for a few years. And I got in one and thought, well, I better remember how to do this. And it's just so hard to do. That I started thinking, well, maybe I'm just forgetting something about it. So I called him last night. He's like, "Yeah, they don't snap very well." I remember that, but okay. I, th- I think we just uh, just have to just accept the way the decathlon snaps. But but the extreme snap better, and that's what I was remembering. Is I got some pretty good snaps out of the extreme. Uh, just can't do it in the, in the super. Yeah, yeah, you get spoiled with the extra and the uh, all these. Yeah, you do. You do. Yeah. Well, then from the, the back to the the subject from the decathlon, I went to the extra three thirty LX which is a really great airplane. It's kind of um, underrated uh, airplane. Uh, I flew unlimited in the LX and made the team. Um, I think I got fifth overall at the nationals in unlimited that's awesome. in, in the LX. And um, that's, I think that's so you know, cool. Yeah. You know, I, I think if I did it again now, I, I think uh, I'd, do, I'd be able to fly better. Of course um, it's going to have some disadvantage, but there's some things about that actually are really strong for unlimited. It has uh, that, that little bit bigger wing really helps, I think. But the problem is it doesn't, it doesn't outside snap very well. It just doesn't have enough elevator. Uh, that's really limiting when you start flying unlimited and, and it really doesn't freestyle worth a darn, you know, it just would doesn't you, have enough. Uh, would you pick an LX over a 300 S a stock 300 S? I feel like I would. 
Yeah, that's a good question. The LX is probably about the same way. They save some weight, I think, in between them. So you're, you really don't have a lot of disadvantage. You'd have the 580 with the LX. I think you have a 540 with the S. It depends what yep. you like there. Yeah, and uh, better ailerons and a bigger tail. You have, tail, the ailerons, the tail's different. Yeah, the ailerons a lot better. The tail, the, the rudder is probably better. Uh, it might be about the same. Yeah, I, I think that would be a tough one. I think you get a, basically a free seat without a lot of disadvantage if you got the LX. I think you're probably that's right. That's what I'm thinking, yeah. 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 Of course, the problem with having an extra seat is you got to give people rides, or at least you don't have an excuse. That's the problem. That's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that why you but, got rid of your MX2? You're like, screw this stuff. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, the MX2, uh, um, we'll jump ahead a little bit if you want to go through airplanes, but the MX2, um, I actually bought with uh, from Mitch uh, Velakovich um, with an understanding that I was interested in MXS. And um, so it was really more of a deal to, to buy it, fly it, and make sure I liked the idea before I ordered my airplane. And I did. So I, I ended up ordering the MXS. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, sorry they're... about that. Yeah, you LX. Were, so you bought a 300 LX, killed it, made the team. And yeah. then um, you wanted to, and then obviously the next step from an LX is an SC. Actually, I have to pause there. That's a, pretty impressive. Like, I mean, if you think about it, that, that's a two-seat certified airplane that you made yeah. the team with. Yeah. What other two-seat certified airplane can you do that with right now? Well, I think the Gamebird, you know, is probably close. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. know about the NG. I haven't flown the NG. I can't say. Uh, but I, I imagine, I mean, Extra does a good product. I'm sure that it's possible to do it in the NG. Yeah. Um, but the, you're right. I mean, the LX was, uh, I mean, it, it was a monster airplane when it came out. I, I think it should uh, should be uh, anyone's pick for a two seat, you know, for an extra anyway, anyone's pick. It's certainly way better than I would say the L I mean, I've flown the L and the 300 and I'm yeah. not, um, I'm not going to say they're bad airplanes they are great airplanes, but really the LX is far better to me. Yeah. The, um, just the fact that you get more fuel, you get 17 gallons of fuel instead of, you know, 12 or whatever it is, or nine, I think in the 300, yep. you know, that's in the center I'm talking center tank fuel. Now yep. that alone makes it so you're going to get a lot more practice and you're going to be a much better pilot, much faster. So there's no reason to buy the older ones, unless you just, um, it's a budget issue, you know, to me, which, which makes sense by the way. And I'm not trying to crash the prices on the other airplanes. They're good airplanes, but the LX is a lot better for sure. Well, they just don't, they don't, you know, the 300, the 300 L, um, even, even to some extent, the 300 S, although I would say the 300 S is probably of the old lineage, uh, the highest performing and most capable or potentially, uh, the, the most uh, ha- has the most potential to do well in modern competition, um, but you know the those are the three hundred, the three hundred L. They're old. They're old. You know, it's dog. I agree with you, and it's funny. It comes up on the on the board a lot, and just in discussion of the IAC a lot. Is people will say, "Well, we got to do, you know, we got to do more for." Um, we, well, I don't know how to put it because I don't want to put it in a way that sounds uh, like I'm not being fair. But the point is, they they people talk about these airplanes like they're new designs, but these are forty years old. Yeah, you know, these are not new airplanes at all. I mean, my, I'm I'm 51 as of a, a few days ago, and Happy birthday. Um, yeah, thanks. But uh, you know, these are not new designs. These are in my lifetime. These are still old designs, and yeah. I'm not I'm not really old by the sports standards. A lot of us are old, older than I am. So I I really think it's um kind of a matter of perspective that a lot of people will join when the the pits was the state of the art, and it no longer is. And that's just, that's a fact. It's still one of the coolest airplanes in the entire world. And I absolutely love them. We but, agree. Uh, they suck. They suck. We agree, Jim. <laughs> they, they are terrible. <laughs> they're great airplanes, but and, and they're good options for people. But uh, we can't pretend that these other airplanes haven't been around for four decades. That's ridiculous. We have to start realizing yeah. that, you know, 10 years from now, it'll be 
it, it's even more that way. We're going to have a lot of these airplanes on the used market. In fact, even today, I can buy a used extra for about the price of a used decathlon, a good used decathlon. Yeah, so we have that discussion not, a lot. I mean, yeah, because um, I, uh, I bought my midwing for 180, and you know that that number kind of ebbs and flows right now. Like it, the market might be slightly up or down on sure. on midwings now, depending on what you know. It, it does seem kind of uh, ebb and flow a little bit, but yeah, like a 300 L. Uh, mid, late nineties, mid to late nineties, 300 L, you know, 180, 190 grand. You know, yeah, these, these airplanes are pretty cheap, um, for the capability at least, you know, yeah, uh, for you're sure. talking about what they can do. Yeah. So it is kind of funny to look at that market of like, wow, you know, look at a used super decathlon, which would be newer, but if you're looking at, uh, capability wise, it is, it, it is a funny world, um, to kind of play in because from a, competitive standpoint yeah you can take a mid-wing and go fly advanced it's not going to do very well and you're certainly not making any teams with a mid-wing probably not even an l now maybe um you know well, you're not gonna, the 300 be, s is a little bit better but i think it'd be i don't i don't think it's impossible but i think you can make the team but it's going to be hard to to win you know relative to if you get a, a funky sequence that the mid-wing just comes out low energy and Whereas like yeah. an SE, it doesn't even, it's like a push button. You can, you can it's, do it. It's definitely going to be, a, it's a disadvantage, but I think um, the, the, the team selection is so dominated by the people who practice the most that I think you can fly just about anything. I think you can fly pits and make the team. Um, it, it's about fuel through the tank, as they say. And at, um, of the, of the extras, the 300 L is the one I favor the least for time to fly unlimited. Um, the 300, I think is slightly better. I can't really actually put my finger on why I think that. So don't ask me the exact reasons why, but, but it just seems to handle a little bit better to me when you're trying to, to do a lot of the, um, the snap rolls and things on verticals and such It's yeah. the best way I could put it, I guess. But even though I know that probably on paper, they have about the same services and it may just be the planes I've flown. That's how I feel. The 300 would be the, the, the worst one, but even that I think would, could be, uh, could dominate in advance with the right pilot. It's about, uh, all the practice you put in. You know what I think well, is it's funny because like, um, you know, head, the, oh. sorry, Jeff, go ahead. No, you know what I think is the perfect advanced plane? Um, I'm, you know, obviously you can find SC in advance, but as far as, you know, budget um, and efficient and yada, 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 I would do a, um, if I was going to stay in advance, I think a, an extra 230 that's been rest- like Danny Bond restored this extra 230 down in, uh, uh, South Carolina, I think, and it's gorgeous. And I think that if I was ever going to just stay in advance and compete, I would get an extra 230 over a 300S too. Um, I don't know how you feel about that, but um, I've always just had a soft spot for those things. Yeah, that's, those are good airplanes. You know, the, really the U.S. market is um, needs a good uh, aerobatic, two-seat aerobatic trainer that can fly snap rolls, which the decathlon really can't. Not really. Yeah. You know, it, it, yeah. it's, it's, it can, but it's not really... Um, designed well for that and it's not it's you can, hard you on the airplane it. it's hard on the airplane you can you won't learn really good snap roll t- well you'll, you'll learn decathlon snap roll techniques but you won't learn the snap roll techniques you need elsewhere and to me the snap roll is the most fundamental figure in all of aerobatics and it kind of drives me nuts that we have um intermediate category that's based on an aircraft that really can't fly snap roll so now we've made the intermediate category we've we've changed it so there really aren't snap rolls in it which I think is to everyone's disadvantage and it kind of makes people think that snap rolls are some really difficult thing to do or some extremely advanced figure and they're about the very first figure anyone ever learned to do ever and you know f- the first experiments they had with aerobatics were snap rolls so I really don't like that about that and even though I love the airplane the decathlon's great I, I do wish uh, we had some, what they seem to have in other countries which is um you know a, a nice club trainer 
that uh, two people can get into and do some basic aerobatics and snap roll safely. And maybe he doesn't have any better performance than a decathlon. Oh, I know like what you're going to say. Or something. That, uh, yeah, cap 10. Yeah, it. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, so I think it kind of holds us back a little bit. And we now we have snap rolls only in advanced, which um, you have, you can have an avalanche and intermediate, but you really have to get to advanced to actually do snap rolls. And advanced and intermediate have always had the biggest gap. So to me, it's just tough to, to do that. But I really can't say that it's wrong. Because I understand the fleet that we have. We have decathlons and we have to take care of them. And people want to be able to move up in category and not feel bored and sportsmen. But, you know, maybe it's just time for six category. I don't know what the solution is, but we're chewing on that right now. Because well, I, let I me ask like, you this. Yeah, this is a, um, not to jump in because I, I, we, we still haven't we haven't even we haven't finished your your uh, the the fleet roster yet, yeah. <laughs> uh, which I'm, I'm excited to, to hear more about. Um, but I, I don't want to forget this topic. So the categories, you know, uh, of how, um, uh, the airplanes that, that their categories are based on, has there been talk of changing that, um, in terms of like, okay, um, sportsman is based on X airplane intermediate is based on X airplane. Um, those seem to be kind of a holdout from decades ago, speaking of decades, old designs and things like that. Um, is there, has there been talk of not basing a category on a specific airplane? Yeah, there was actually a proposal that I that I a motion I made that um, was adopted by the board to remove the aircraft specific terminology from our from our language that we would no longer be saying things like uh, this this um, you know this category would be based on the 115 horsepower fixed pitch Citabria, which is what our primary and sportsman primary yeah, or the, we will base advanced category on the Pitts S2A. You know that that's a that's an unusual choice and some of the super unusual. Yeah, and some reasons those need to be changed is because we simply don't don't have access. Uh, we often don't have access to a 115 horsepower Citabria to test whether the sequences work or not. We don't we don't really know anymore, and we end up relying on people's memory, and they, we end up arguing over what a 115 horsepower fixed pitch Citabria can and can't do in sure. board meetings. Which, if you think about it, is just not a very productive way for 15 people to spend their time, no matter what their position is. We just don't know. <laughs> we can't really win the argument. We all we do is is uh, is argue, and that yeah. was passed, but we. Um, but it's not so easy, you know, to do that. So we have more work to do there. Um, there's been a lot of discussion, argument about this over the years. It's been nonstop. Uh, I, I, one of the things I'm trying to do with these sorts of uh, perennial debates in the IEC is, um, is turn them into solutions. And, um, and I think everybody wants that. But it's not always easy for people to give a little bit here and there or to trust that other people are going to take the issues up with sensitivity to their concerns. So it's taking time to solve that one. I think we're going to get some progress there. I, I look forward to maybe a sixth category. I really think that's the only way we're going to get there because otherwise you Interesting. always, yeah, well, if you don't, if you think about it, it doesn't make sense that people on the high end are trying to pull the sport up and people on the low end are trying to pull the sport down and that they, and somebody has to win and somebody has to lose. There's never going to be a solution if you have yeah. word. only one side can win. And what happens is we go back and forth and back and forth, depending on who's on the board and who has who's on the rules committee and who makes the best arguments and who yells aloud us. And I understand the complaint that we can't possibly have six categories of competition at a weekend contest. Maybe that's true, but we don't have to have all six at each contest. We can pick which five to do. And since unlimited is so rarely attended now, I think we do have room to introduce a sixth category that would sit in between intermediate and advanced. And, I, and I, at this point, that's a solution I, I favor because I think it's the only way to, to get everybody on the same page but uh, but even that's hard to do. So we have to have a lot more discussion, debate, and uh, it's going, it's ongoing. So what would the uh, category be called? So uh, you, you're uh, asking great questions. I, I have the in mind to make um, 
to create this is this is really not um, something that's even gone before the board, by the way. So I'm just speaking, you know, off the top of my head here about sure. That. sure. <laughs> my, but my thinking is that you have yeah, breaking news. <laughs> you love it. You love it. Um, <laughs> now I've had this conversation with many board members, but it hasn't gone before the board yet. And that actually, there's a committee that's being formed to review the category system. This is work that's been done several times in the IAC's history, so it's not a new idea. But um, one of the things I'm feeding into this this uh, working group is the idea of two distinct sort of classes of aircraft. And uh, on the high end, I would call it the elite group, which would be three categories, including advanced, unlimited, and one underneath advanced, which would have a new name. I don't want to, I, I can propose a name, but I won't. Uh, it doesn't matter. But there'd be three categories in that structure. And the three categories at the lower end, which would be primary sportsmen and what is currently intermediate, possibly renamed. And the reason I like the idea is we could base the bottom three categories on certain aircraft types, including the decathlon. We basically make all make the decathlon work well for that. And any um, what we can think of as almost vintage aircraft, the decathlon being 50 years old. Sure. And then the, the top three would be um, you know, considered elite and would, would uh, assume that the aircraft can do things like snap roll. I mean, it's just such a, to me, it's, it's almost comical. Let's go ahead and imagine we have three categories of competition where aircraft can actually do a snap roll without, uh, without um, damaging themselves. And you can find maybe even a rental aircraft. That would probably be the, the what we're thinking of as modern aircraft would be competing in those categories. And the argument will be made that there aren't enough competitors to, to justify that change, which may be true. Um, I don't know. But um, but I think that it's the right way to divide things and to give it a shot is probably worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah, I think it gives opportunity for people to, you know, because I think that what I've seen in the past is, you know, people are into sport and usually around the 10-year mark, um, and I might be wrong on this, but usually around the 10 year mark, um, if they're in sportsmen and they have a decathlon and, um, you know, they've just been in sportsmen and it gets really stagnant and they, they usually leave. So I think your idea, um, it's definitely going to, I think it could have a positive influence on retainage, um, hundred percent. Um, well, it might I, create, it might create more buzz and, and, and that person that different. doesn't compete good. or isn't a member. Yeah. 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 You know, they might, they might come like in and something say, hey. new, something fun to like, you know, not change things it's up. It's a refresh. A, yeah. It's just something more, you know, different to go to, to make you want to go to a contest again. You know? Yeah. One of the things that I find so funny when we debate this in the board is, um, or just in general, I hear, listen to people talk about it is they have such a, um, and I'm, I'm just going to use the word defeatist attitude or that we're victims um, of a system. And that's silly with a system arose maybe from bad decisions, maybe. But it's still up to us to change it. We have processes for the IAC that allow everybody to take action and, and have their voice considered. And, uh, and I, I just threw out some ideas to you, but those are just one person's ideas. We have to go through a whole process to get any of these changes made. And maybe I, my ideas, they pass muster, maybe they don't. There are somewhere out there, somebody has the key. And if we don't get them involved in this process, and if they, they think they can't win or they're going to you know, make people angry, then they're not going to be involved. So the, my, the trick to this is really to get everybody to start talking about it in a productive way. And one of the things I like to point out to people who think that, um, that we have to keep this, um, that, that, that making the sport easier is the solution, because there's a lot of that thinking, is I like to point out that in Europe, uh, where they have far higher pr- prices for everything, gas is $12 a gallon. I was there. I flew. You know, it costs much more to insure an aircraft. The aircraft aren't as accessible. They still can have a European championship and get 50 or 60 pilots to fly unlimited. And that's basically yeah. the same population size, probably a smaller pilot size than in the U S where we get maybe eight people at best. The last time I think it was to try out for the team. We can't, not only can we not get 
50 people to fly at our nationals. We can't even get 20 to fly around the country at regions. Yeah. And well, so it's that- not about making it easier. Their sequences are much harder. Their situation is much more challenging. But the difference is they have engagement. And the IEC does not think about um, marketing or getting people in. Well, they previously haven't thought much about getting people in, engaged in the sport. And that's really the secret to getting um, the numbers uh, uh, you know, built up. But I think we're yeah. getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> that's true. We are getting ahead of ourselves, <laughs> um, which is often what we do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's let's step back. Uh, so we uh, we talked about the LX. Yeah. Um, this is going to be a two hour podcast where we. <laughs> We jump back and forth between the airplanes you have and then yeah. other random topics when we uh, when we go down tangents. But um, all right. So you got uh, so LX and then uh, then where'd you move from there? Um, I think the next plane was the SC. We're talking about aerobatic planes. I've had other planes, but the SC um, was the next airplane I bought. Um, How was that? Like, tell us about the, the whole process with, well, you know, small talk, but um, with Doug, I mean, is he, he's, he's amazing. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, how do you talk, what did he say? What was the line that he said to you that made you want to go to the SC? Oh, Doug is full of lines. I mean, I can't even remember <laughs> all of Doug's line. He's a very, very seductive man. Yes, um, he is, you know, yeah. but, uh, Doug, Doug, there's just so many great people and Doug in this, in this sport. And I'm so, um, grateful to know, I know so many of my heroes and so many people that I've, that I've always wanted to get to know. And Doug is just one of these guys I just really love talking to. He loves the aircraft, loves the product. Uh, he knows how to move people, you know, through the process. He, he was the one who recommended me I get a decathlon, and then before I buy an extra, and that was very good advice. The two hundred some hours I put into that decathlon has been the backbone of everything I've been able to do in aerobatics. I'm so glad I followed his advice, and I was eager to go back to him to buy the LX because I knew that I could trust him because yeah. he didn't steer me into one right away. And then, the, um, really, what happens? I just kept in communication with him. And eventually he said, you know, it's, it's, I think it's time for you to get an SC because you're going to wear that LX out for one thing. And you want to do freestyle. And uh, what he told me that I thought was fun is he said, I'd probably, you know, uh, break my spine, which I thought was funny. And uh, (laughs) he also kept telling me, you know, the difference between your extreme and the LX is actually smaller than the difference between the LX and the SC. And I I don't think that's wrong. I think the SC is, is a much, much uh, better airplane than the LX, way beyond what, what I expected. It's just a superb flying airplane. Wow. Uh, it's, it has way more performance. I don't know why. <laughs> I can't really explain it. But there's just it's just a um, it's just a great experience to fly. It still, by the way, it still lands easy. It just if anybody's out there thinking, can I do this? The 330SC, like I fly, maybe not mine in particular, but the, in general, they're really uh, beautiful flying airplanes. They handle really well. It's completely approachable to somebody with training. It's just a good airplane all around. Yeah, I've always I found that to be a hallmark of all extras. They they, they are, really yeah. don't have that. Um, you know, whether they might, you might have, yeah, yeah, training is important and, and they might have some, uh, unique characteristics, but I wouldn't say any extra that I've flown has had bad habits. No, they're, um, not, not docile, but, no. uh, very, yeah, they have, they make good assumptions about what pilots want, I think is maybe the best way to put it. They have just enough controllability to get you where you need to be with the resty stuff, but they still are considerate when you're trying to land the airplane or even just, uh, even just, um, getting the plane ready to fly. Like there's a lot of things they've thought through that are really nice. Yeah. Agreed. Like electric rudder pedals or the, um, you know, the smokes, the smoke tank that fills itself, you know, with the pump built into the airplane. There's things like that, that, uh, that I think are just really considerate touches. The one thing, but like, why can't they just put Zeus fasteners on the, on the cowling? Why do they stick? With That's a great question. You know, I did that on my, I did, I did that in my oil door. I'm not going to use a screwdriver to open my oil door. I'm not going to do it. That's so silly. So I, I did that. And, uh, 
I agree Smart. with you. Yeah, I agree with you. Getting the cowl on and off, it's 50 screws. Yeah. So annoying. What a pain. <laughs> yeah, it, it's terrible. And it's double for uh, uh, the 300, uh, the, uh, just the 300. I think that even the 300L, they reduce the cowling screws like by half. Yeah. 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 But, uh, <laughs> you know, but the thing about the SC that you notice when you fly it is how much elevator authority it has compared to the LX. And, and Doug had a point that, um, you, you know, you'll, you'll break your spine because you're used to having to reef so hard on the elevator to get a, to get the plane to, you know, to carve or to do a snap roll. And the SC is just blessed with, uh, I mean, a tremendous amount of elevator authority. Yeah. That's the biggest difference. No, definitely. So can we pause on the SC a little bit? Cause I, uh, you, you have an SC that's your current, current machine and mm-hmm. you've done some modifications to it. Can you, can you tell, can you, can you share some of those modifications? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty open about it. And, um, I, I know other people have thought about doing the same thing. I'm, I'm telling them don't do it. And I've worried sometimes people think I'm trying to, you know, throw them off the scent because what I've done to it allows it to do a lot better freestyle and that's valuable. But, um, almost everybody who has an SC is trying to fly a resty. And uh, what I've done pretty much ruins it for, for a resty. It's made it really hard for me to compete. Um, and I've just recently changed it almost all the way back. Okay. Um, so, uh, but I did have, I had Tony Horvath, uh, my friend, make a, um, extend the rudder, I think about eight inches to get more um, surface area back there. We added quite a bit of weight to the tail. I won't say how much, uh, but we added quite a bit of weight to the tail. Uh, we increased the amount of throw. And to do that required surgery, you know, cutting into carbon fiber and it required new bell cranks and, and, um, you know, things that most people wouldn't even want to do with their extra. But, um, you know, I've had, I think two and a half years on that with those changes and it, for the very first flight, uh, with, with those, and there's, there's some other things too, but they're not really very important. Um, those are the big things. And, you know, that comes from my RC experience and also my experience making simulators, flight simulators. So I, I kind of knew what to do to make it do the things I wanted. I, I knew we needed more area back there. We needed more throw. We needed the CG farther back. It's not rocket science, really. Sure. But we kind of guessed at some of the, some of, you know, what we thought would be the right, um, the right CG location and all that stuff. But um, from the very first flight with it, I mean, it was really uh, spellbinding because the, uh, when I flew the freestyle on the 330SC, I always wanted to do some of the things that Rob does like the Frisbee and, and, um, uh, some of the inside tumbles, you know, and it just can't do it. The stock SC, um, it's not about timing or anything like that. You just, just can't do it, but with the new tail, it could. So I started doing those things. And, um, the problem though, is that, um, even the, the very first time I started and taxied it, the elevator just felt so heavy because there's so much extra throw and it's geared so differently. We couldn't increase the, the travel very much on the stick in the cockpit. But we sure. increased the throw by, I don't remember what it was, but like uh, 10 or 12 degrees or 15 degrees each direction. And uh, I was surprised how much heavier it felt, even just just sitting on the ground, not moving the airplane, just moving, you know, the stick. And I ended up um, uh, coming to where my, my, my quads were burning after every flight because it took so much force in the rudder to keep the plane even just straight. And my shoulder, I ended up developing a shoulder impingement because it was so much force needed to move the elevator to do snap rolls. And I lived with it for a few years here because it was so fun. But, um, but now I've backed it off quite a bit just recently and I still can do almost everything I could do before. And so it's because I've become a better pilot since then. I know the timing better. I know the airspeed's better. I've learned a lot, but also, um, I had more throw and more area than I needed. And I, I didn't know that until I finally, you know, found some time here to start backing it off and find the sweet spot. So I still have a little bit more throw and, um, but the CG's back to where it was, which is good. I'll also say that it was very dangerous in spins. 
Um, I did not, not like letting anyone fly the airplane, especially in aerobatics. I wanted to be very high to do a spin because the controls didn't want to center. So you had to, you had to know uh, what to do and you had to be assertive. Um, would that have but, a more propensity to cross over to having more elevator authority? Well, it would just get, I don't, I, I think it probably, it would have, if you had, if you had, you know, if you'd let it watch the recovery, but it just would get so incredibly flat that the plane would, you had to really tell it not to be flat anymore. You had to know how to tell it not to be flat. You had to do that and, and, uh, you had to anticipate when you want to, you know, where you want to come out and you had to be uh, patient and experimenting would not get you there. You had to know what to do. And I, I learned that at a very high altitude and we got to where I flew low level shows doing flat spins without really any concern after a while. But, um, but people should not be moving their CG back that far and, and changing their control services unless they're very, very careful pilots. Sure. It will definitely bite you. And so I, several times over the years, people have said, Hey, I think I want to do that. And I always say, well, fly my airplane first. And so far, the few people who fly my airplane and say, well, I will never fly that thing again. So it's not like, it's a, <laughs> you know, nobody wants to do it again. And, and I, and I won't fly it that way either, by the way, I've, I've had enough of it. Uh, it, there's no reason for me to, to fly it that way. I can get what I would need to have done, done without such extreme modifications. So, so yeah, there you go. That's, that's a story really. Um, it was a lot of fun to play with. I loved it. It was like playing with my RC planes and my simulator, right? Make tweaks. We had a lot of fun doing all that, but um, now I'm at a, a spot where I think I, I'm going to keep it probably, which is the, the, oh, cool. the original tail and um, just some changes to make it so that the throws are a little bit higher and it's now tolerable to fly. Gotcha. Yeah. And I have a, I have a, uh, I can change it so I can get um, more throw uh, with the, you know, turn of a screwdriver or, or sorry, a wrench um, or less throw. And uh, what I'll do is I'll fly it in a kind of a resty settings. And then for the four minute free, I'll, I'll, uh, add some elevator throw and go to the extreme settings. Is okay. there a rule in the rule book where that says you can't fly two airplanes at a contest, meaning like, you know, the SC and a resty. And then when you get the MXS, you can fly that in a four minute. There's no rule that says that. And I've certainly thought of it. And you know, who else thought of it is uh, Jeff Bourbon who flies the Yak 110 now. And of course he's been a team member. <laughs> oh my before. God. He would win. He told me, we were talking about it and he said, well, it wouldn't be fun if I showed up with the Yak 110 and the extra. I think you should definitely do that. Oh my There's God. No oh my gosh. Right now. Bobby Holly has just engine. lost all sleep. He's never going to sleep yeah. again. <laughs> <laughs> There's no rule against multi-engine. There's no rule against jets as far as I, 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 I know the rule book. And um, oh God, I don't this could be a nightmare. To, to do it. This is a nightmare. Oh, my God. Would it would be fun. <laughs> oh, man. That would be awesome. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see. I mean, he's got a busy schedule, but it would be a lot of fun if he did that. I would start yeah. a GoFundMe <laughs> right now. <laughs> Oh man, that's one airplane that I definitely want to go see at an air show. Is the Yak One Ten? Yeah, I, I sat in it and dreamed of flying it. I didn't get to fly it. I, I, maybe someday I'll I'll be trusted enough to fly it. But uh, it is a badass airplane. I mean, it's the coolest idea. Yeah, that's doesn't it do like a I double hammerhead, like a thing. true double hammerhead or something like that? Yeah, and you, and you really couldn't do that with any other airplane. You pointed out to me that you know you, he has that plane is set up with no dihedral, you know, no incidents. It's just perfectly designed for that kind of idea. Most planes wouldn't work that way. You'd have to do yeah. some really weird things. I told him I was going to make an extra 990 to compete with him. <laughs> 990. <laughs> oh, love funny. it. Yeah, I love really it. Funny. So I'm, what's I'm the, super what's excited the, to see, uh, the, um, not to uh, get too in the weeds, but um, the boys over at Rad um, Motorsports or Aerosports uh, with the uh, Jet Waco now in their yeah. hands. And they're going to do a joint air show coming up here in Fargo. Uh, yes, with the Yak that's 110. Right. That's yeah. right. I heard about that. Del, Del uh, Caller, um, I, I think he's the pilot. He's a really good guy and uh, a brilliant person and um, uh, and also a fledgling uh, bass player. So just, you okay. know. Okay. And, uh, and uh, just, <laughs> I really wish him the very best. Uh, uh, 
I talked to Jeff about the Jet Waffle quite a bit, and he told me uh, some of the characteristics of that airplane. He likes flying the Yak 110 better, but man, either of those airplanes, I would take them in my hangar any day. It'd be so much cool fun. Idea. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I love watching those. Yeah. Just fly a Waco at VE and just 3,000 foot <laughs> verticals. It'd be so wild. Yeah. 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 yeah it's a crazy show. They're both insane. Yeah. yeah. Well, then, uh, so I guess move on from the 330 SC. I don't know if there's any other questions to ask about that, but um, from from there, I mean, I've kind of been, um, I did the MX2, um, which was fantastic. Um, I'm not sure what to say about it. It's kind of what everybody expects it to be. It's very maneuverable. It's super fast. Um, I did fly the Game Bird a couple hours and really, really liked it, uh, but I felt like the freestyle, um, and, and Philip is such a good guy, and we talked about maybe modifying one, for me, but you know, you get to where it's a certified airplane or coming out of a factory that, that makes certified airplanes and it's complicated. And then I, um, I just felt like, um, in the end that I would probably be happy with the MX. Speaking and, of Philip, um, is, is Philip coming back to competition? Cause I've heard a rumor that the X pony tailed aerobatic engineer is, is could be coming to nationals. I hope he does. I've heard um, talk about that. I haven't heard that from Philip and you know, it's again, one of these things where he, Cause that would be cool. He, he, yeah, people who haven't flown Unlimited, they might not be aware of how much work it is to fly Unlimited. And it's just, it, it, there's a lot of people who plan to come back, but it's hard to do that because you have to just do so much work to get ready. So I don't know. But maybe he could fly the four-minute free and not fly the arresty part. Or maybe he could, you know, he's a really, really good pilot. A lot of people don't know. He's not just an engineer. The guy's a great pilot. Certainly yeah. one of the best airbag pilots alive. And uh, it's possible he's just going to hop in the plane and come fly Unlimited and do really well. I wouldn't be surprised, I guess. So That would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the plane can do anything. I've, 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 I've flown it solo, just one flight. It was a long flight. I'm not sure how long it was, but I, I basically call it an hour of flying. And uh, there's, it does really, really great arresty stuff. Does amazing snap rolls. It can do very low speed things. Um, freestyle wise, I felt like the MX would probably be a little better for me personally. But um, now Marianne is coming up uh, with the, she's flying her decathlon, and she says she wants to. A two seat airplane, so maybe we'll end up with another with a game bird at some point. I don't know. Ooh, really cool airplane. Yeah. That I've would said be that awesome. I've said it on the podcast, but I would choose. I, I wouldn't buy anything new two seat. I, I'd look for something on the used market, but um, I would choose a game bird over an LX. Um, you know, I flew to game. I, I happen to really like the game bird and um, certified. And compared to the LX, I feel like you get more performance. And um, way, way, way faster cruise speed. You're going to be cruising. Like, I can't remember what 210 knots. I think I saw yeah, right off of the deck and the LX was maybe 180, 175, 180 knots. I mean, that's right there. A huge yeah. thing. And yeah. the Gamebird has a lot of advantages. Um, just like the plenum and the, you know, into the column, it looks so nice. And there's so much consideration um, throughout the airplane. The ballast system is amazing. And, you know, there's some things that, I, that are a little harder for me to adjust to, like not having spades. I mean, I, I want spades so I can change how the plane handles. If you like how Philip, you know, uh, if you like how Philip likes his ailerons, you're in good shape. And I do like it by the way, but still it's just something I did, had a hard time getting around. Um, that is an interesting element because, uh, no other aerobatic airplane really, uh, doesn't have that ability. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the one I flew, I don't know if it's how it is the production ones, but he had, I think he told me it was like, uh, they overshot on the roll rate. It was like 600 degrees per second. So they backed it off. Oh my God. Um, but the but they backed it off by of course adding stops so the aileron the stick didn't move as far left and right as it did forward and backward and that probably wouldn't bother most people but for me it was just one of these things like ah, I didn't really want to adjust to that uh, that feels I mean, weird that's not proportional <laughs> yeah 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 but I mean these are these are really very very small things it was a tough call I'll be honest uh, pick between the MXS and the Gamebird at the time 
uh, went back and forth quite a bit. And the NG wasn't even on the radar at that time. So that wasn't part of the decision-making process. And I'm oh, probably yeah. not in the market for an NG. Um, it's just not for me. Um, but the game bird, I felt like with the single seat canopy and the right color scheme would look really, really amazing. So I was, oh, I was yeah. excited about the idea. That airplane but, grows know, on the people. MXS, the MXS is lighter and, um, and has, I think, some advantages for freestyle. So I'm sure I'm be d- delighted about that. I'll have it hopefully pretty soon. Nice. Well, when are you expecting delivery? Um, I think last year sometime. I was just going to say, that's right around the corner. Yeah, that's right around the corner. Yeah, the, the, uh, the, the coronavirus <laughs> messing everything up and they yeah. had trouble getting things. And in fact, the engine that they ordered, I, I, I ordered two engines from Lycon and I can't remember how long it's been, but like a year and a half, you know, um, and they're, they're certainly going to deliver me engines and, and MX is definitely going to deliver me an airplane, but it's just been impossible to get even things like clues and just the stuff I, you need to get the airplane. I don't together. agree. I don't agree with that at all. I think that that Bobby Holly is delaying the production of your airplane for obvious reasons. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. Rob, Rob's pretty cool customer. I don't think he's worried about anything. He already, maybe, he already maybe. vinyl cutted the uh, 2021 four minute freeze champion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He got it painted on with his new paint it, job, right? I was going to say, yeah. it's already on the, it's already on the table. Black tape over. He's going to rip it off after he wins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, if I get on the board for board of directors, my first, <laughs> my first motion is going to be to, to handicap Rob in the four minute free to like a 30 second free or tie one hand behind his back. That's yeah, and I and I expect full cooperation from everybody on. They're gonna be like, yeah, hell yeah. I don't know why we didn't think about this first show. Eye patch. <laughs> Do it well, with one like, eye. No, he would still he's win. A- no, no, no. He he would win with one eye. We need to like, I don't know, put him in a full body cast and only let him use his fingertips and breathe on the <laughs> stick, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if I have the same airplane, then I won't have any excuses. So I'm not going to start making. Uh, I'm not going to start joining in on. Uh, on you know, <laughs> On this. We'll just see how it goes. <laughs> I love it. Rob's, Rob's a better pilot than people think. And that's a, that's not a joke. He's uh, not just a good pilot. He's an incredible pilot. He's, he's um, as good or better than you think he is, even though you think he's good. Oh, the guy's that's like, a, he's that's an impressive. A, yeah. He's yeah. on another level. He's got an extra chromosome somewhere. He's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> he's, it, he's really frustrating to watch fly. Like I love watching his in cockpit stuff. Anything that he posts in cockpit, he's it's frustrating to watch him fly. It's absolutely effortless and absolutely perfect almost all the time. The thing is people don't uh, realize the people who've, um, who've lost to him, they don't maybe know how much he practices and they don't realize that he's still getting better. And if you yeah. train with him, you realize, Oh, he's actually still improving. Like he's doing better. And I haven't, I haven't actually seen him very much over the last year. Of course it's been kind of crazy, but, but um, you know, I watched him improve in the team camps over a year. And the thought at the beginning that he was really, really solid. But by the end of it, I was like, oh, wait, I, I, he, he was he was like perfect that last flight. He wasn't perfect a year ago, you know. And, of course, you lose it when you take a break. But uh, you get it back pretty fast if you practice. And the guy does. So you you can't uh, get mad. And people get mad because he wins, which is so funny, you know. No, he puts, he puts like, in the effort gotta, and the sacrifice for sure. Yeah. I know people have a real axe to grind about how he keeps winning. Like he has a halo. Well, you know, I mean – He's just flying the best. I mean, he, when he beats everybody ten percent, you really can't say it's Halo anymore. What do you want? You want him to like lose one just to make you feel better? Like what? Oh, I've seen these people mistakes. want. It'll, it'll hey, look, it's going to happen. He makes mistakes in practice. I've seen it. Someday sure. he's going to make a mistake that's going to count in competition if he does it long enough. And uh, maybe I'll be lucky. <laughs> you know, it'll be there. And I'm getting better too. You know, it's a competition. I'm not going to say I'm I can't beat him. It's not like I don't think he's magic. You know, I don't I don't believe that. But he's a really, really good guy. He's a good pilot, and he's the best we have for sure. And uh, yeah. that's, that's, you know, the best by test. The scores prove it. Yeah, yes. I think Eddie, I think Eddie Van Halen dying is definitely throwing him off his game a little bit. 
Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think he might have absorbed any power. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we said that, like, if we, like, Rob, it would be funny with Rob to, like, be like, you know what? I've had, I've won enough in this MXS. I'm going to go, you know, beat, you know, kick some ass in a 330 SC. And then maybe I'll move on to an S, uh, Souk 26 or something and just have him yeah. keep winning a different airplane. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, and, the, and I've just been very complimentary because he deserves it. But on the other hand, the way to look at it is it's true that he has an airplane that can do things other airplanes can't do. And that is an advantage. No way around that. So, you know, like I said, I'm not I'm not laying down SmackDown. I've got a lot to learn about flying the MX, of course. But it's going to be really fun to try um, competing in the same airplane. I'm going to enjoy that, whether it uh, works out for me or not. But uh, that's, you know, that's something he hasn't really faced very much before. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. No, exciting. we talked a little bit about that with Odd getting hers, you know, um, to, yeah. see, to see more um, high-level competitors jump into the MXS. It's, it's, it's a good thing for him, but it's a good thing overall, and it's going to be really interesting to watch. And the thing about Rob that people uh, that I really love about him is he's uh, – no one if, – if I ever beat Rob, first of all, no one would be happier for me than Rob. And second of all, I could credit no one more in my life than Rob. For doing well because rob has taught me more about aerobatics and i've learned from anybody he's a great so, coach by the way if anybody's yeah, looking for yeah. he's so, a phenomenal coach yeah so you know it's it's uh, just a mutual respect i hope all around and um it's part of what makes the sport so great is everybody helping each other and even even though you're competing with each other and you want to win so badly you still can't bear to watch somebody not do well it's just ugly rob's attitude is um is really good it just says he's you know it's not a defensive sport you go out there and do your best and that's the right attitude anybody on the team should have that attitude that we're just out there to do our best the best person's going to win on that day doesn't mean they're the best human being. They're just the best person that day. So there's no, there shouldn't be any struggle with helping each other out. And he does a lot of that. Yeah, totally. That's great. True yeah. ambassador to the sport. Yes. Yeah. So is there, um, so your MXS, have you figured out, um, the colors you're going to, I know you, I, I don't want you to have to talk about a scheme and everything, but are you, uh, yeah. what kind of colors you thinking that people well, can kind of, that's, you're asking a really great time because it's about to go into paint. I'm told, and I have to make a final decision. And I have a scheme that's hard? very similar. Isn't it What's hard? That? Like, it's like you spend all this money, and that was the hardest thing for yeah. me with ESC. Is like, I never even thought I would thought about that. And it's like, oh shoot, like I got to pick a paint, and like I'm spending all this money. What if I don't like it? You know, this and that. Yeah. Well, that's, I feel like it's a crossroads for me because I think my scheme is known. It's it's a lot of RC planes out there with my scheme, and people yeah. recognize the plane. It's and absolutely really, a thing. And I also like it. It's that blue and orange is not like other people use it. Everybody uses red or black. Yeah. So I've got something that's on my own. I like, uh, and I have plans to do something similar. I had Mirko Pecorari design a scheme that's similar, but kind of a little racier. But then I start thinking, you know, maybe it's time to do something just completely different. I have ideas that are a little more, um, I don't know, you know, uh, uh, serious, like a darker color scheme. That doesn't look quite as joyful. It looks more like um, I'm a badass, but I'm not a badass in real life. So I don't know if that makes covered sense. In, so, covered in skulls. Yeah, uh, skulls. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> skulls and middle fingers. But, uh, I, but I mean, something that's like more like murdered out like they do with, uh, like they used to with cars 20 years ago when that was a thing. You know, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just thinking um, along those lines right now. So I have to make a decision. So you tell me what you think I should do. Boy, um, I really like uh, your um, <laughs> the LX and the SC looked so good and they were so unique and so Jim Burke. Yeah. Um, no, I got it. I got it. You're going to love it. And this is the answer to all your issues. Just paint it exactly like the jet in Austin Powers. Oh, yeah, that's sweet. <laughs> there we go. I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> I was thinking of a Hello Kitty scheme. <laughs> 
What about just painted exactly like Rob's? That would be funny, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> oh my god, that's brilliant. It, you know, oh that's a, that was the biggest decision point for me buying the MX was well, she, you know, shoot, I don't want to be uh, compared with Rob any more than I already am. You yeah, know, but then when, you get, then when you get the scores back, you could be like, no, I flew third. Rob flew first. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I protest. I protest. Yeah. <laughs> like even have the pilot, you know, the, on the canopy pilot, Rob Holland. Yeah. Like just yeah. copy it to a T. And just try yeah. to learn his voice and spit out some Eddie Van Halen line. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm so glad that we that we discussed this because you really helped me make the decision on the color scheme. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, that's what we do. No, I'd I'd um, love to see an MXS in in your in your scheme. You know, that'd be really fun. But obviously, it'd be really fun to see with you know whatever yeah. you come up with. Yeah. Well, let's, I, uh, yeah, it's going to look great. Going. Whatever you do. Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, the, the MX I still don't have. The MX2 I had still going through airplanes, right? It's like an hour in. I hope everybody's still paying attention. Maybe got to break this up into three parts or something. Oh, people are going to oh. love this. Okay. No, okay. I'm I'm love it. I know people are going to love this. Okay. I love it too because I haven't said something stupid yet, so I'm good. <laughs> Give it time. Well, anyway, the, the MX2 is a really neat airplane. Uh, I, I had uh, the yellow one that Mitch has um, now, and then uh, unfortunately he got it back right when the engine blew up. That sucks. But it was Nigel Lamb's um, Red yeah. Bull plane has a single seat canopy and a two seat canopy and is a really great airplane. I really enjoyed flying it. So that was, that went from that to order the MXS. But then after that, um, well, I bought, I bought, um, I don't really have a ton of aerobatic airplanes right now. I do have a, a pits. I bought a pits S one, uh, which is fantastic. I'd never owned a pits. I'd flown them, but they are just every bit as good as everybody says they are. And the S one so is fun. The, oh man. It's the S one obviously blows away the S two B for fun. You can't get a, a more fun airplane. Yeah. And mine's red and white. Like it should be, it's got a 160 horsepower engine. It's not a monster. I don't need it to be. It just handles beautifully and it's so fun to fly. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's in the stable. I have a, uh, um, a Taylor craft. I flew Mike Rinker's clip wing Taylor craft and his had, I think, uh, maybe 65 or 80 horse in, uh, when I was in union city one time, he has a great clip wing Taylor craft and I just loved it. So I, I searched around and found one that had like 50 hours on it. It's um, a new old stock airplane. So it was made brand new from old stock parts. So it's um, like a 1947 Taylor craft with a 2017 data plate, you know, and, uh, but it clipped wing with a 150 horsepower engine and it's uh, white with red scallops and is uh, pristine, beautiful and flies. I had Tony put spades on it and it rolls. It's, it's crazy fun to roll and do, you know, intermediate level aerobatics in it. Um, it has a ballistic chute which is really cool. So I don't oh. wear a parachute when I fly it. And um, I mean, it's just honestly, those two planes sit most of the time because I'm busy flying the extra, but they are really cool planes. And then I have a, a Swift S1 uh, aerobatic glider. So I flew my first glider contest this spring. So we um, have to talk I, about the gliders. Cause sure. you know, like I just saw something on Facebook. Um, that guy, Eric from California, he's going, I guess. Yeah. There's Lentz? That, yeah. Yeah. Lentz and like, you know, I was driving yeah. out to the airport today where, you know, they do this podcast and I was just thinking about it and like, you know, those guys are amazing, but like, to me, it reminded me of like, remember in high school when like somebody would be really good at like badminton, like there'd be like some sport, like they'd be like the state champion or all-star of badminton or like curling, like, but it's just, it's badminton. It, it doesn't get like the same, it's so downgraded from powered, you know, and it just doesn't get the respect it seems. It's like, whoa, yeah. that's awesome. You're going to the, to the worlds, but. It's just like 
it's it's badminton it seems and it just doesn't get enough press because those guys are amazing i used to play harmonica um at all the blues jams in dallas texas when i lived there and i, I play guitar too but i just enjoyed playing harmonica because there weren't a lot of good harmonica players to play the jams and, and one day i got invited by a friend to play with the harmonica orchestra of texas hoot i don't know if they're still around but so he invited me to this group and it's like a hundred people and they would all play harmonicas together in this big harmonica orchestra. <laughs> and, uh, it's like, wow, this is really a trip, you know? And I, I'd never, never seen so many harmonicas in one place in my life. And, um, That's what she and I was a really good harmonica player, which I don't think means anything to anybody, but I was still am, I guess. And, and we were sitting in this uh, auditorium at this university where they meet and the meeting went like somebody just said, Hey, let's all do, um, let's all do amazing grace. Okay, cool. Let's go. And then he would just start playing Amazing Grace. Everybody would start playing Amazing Grace. There's no rhyme or reason. Nobody was playing a harmony part. It was just a hundred harmonicas playing and everybody doing fills and trills and solos and just absolute cacophony, you know. Anyway, um, afterwards, I was kind of just stunned, you know. It was really, really fun, though. And it, they kind of took it tongue in cheek. And I went and talked to one of them, and one of them said he was in this whistling group. And they do this, they have a. <laughs> <laughs> this group of, of whistling, you know, and the two whistle. Of yeah, course, yeah. they are. Yeah, I, I whistle. I whistle really well, actually. I, I've always thought I'm a good whistler. I, you know, got a good range here. I think we ought to come to our whistling orchestra. We, we have a, a whistling. I'm like, you know what? That's just too far down the music rabbit trail <laughs> for me. I'm going to call it at harmonicas, and I'm not going to do the whistling. But I just yeah. can imagine what the whistling group is like. It's you probably a lot it, of fun. We, they have a good time. These guys. Maybe they're still around. Go join in if you like harmonicas or whistling. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> we could but be close. I, I, I kind of felt like that. Um, <laughs> you know, I feel like the gliders, um, they kind of get that sort of um, like this. Yeah, is not, right? uh, yeah, it's not real. It's, it's, um, it's, it, but it's um, this exact same sport. And the pilots are very, very strong. There's some real advantages. You don't have to have, to have a medical. It's the biggest one. So a lot of people do it who can't fly power. And that doesn't mean they're not good at flying aerobatics. They are really good at flying aerobatics. They're just not flying power aerobatics. So uh, you can't take it for granted that you're going to be a strong pilot when you go into gliders. Uh, I did fly unlimited in my first contest. It's um, it's a shorter sequence. It's less um, uh, rigorous, less strenuous on the body. You might see plus five, minus three. You might see plus six, you know, where I'm used to plus 10, minus seven or eight or something, you know. It's, so it's a lot easier. And the sequences are shorter. Um, and you can't you can't go on an upline for very long, so you've got to have your timing down perfectly. Yeah. But it's a, otherwise the exact same sport. And I would love to go to the glider world. So I, I'm jealous that Eric's there. I was hoping to go this year. It just didn't work out. But uh, at some point, I want to go to the, on the U.S. team to a glider world and uh, and help hopefully bring back gold for the U.S. I, I don't know if we could do it, but that would be really fun to try. Oh, that'd be awesome. Where where are they this year? Um, it's in Poland. I don't remember the name of the place. I don't know a lot about Poland, but it's it's somewhere over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Um, no, yeah. I, I, when I saw you that you were doing the gliders and everything, I thought that was a lot of fun because, you know, you'll post about it yeah. and obviously you got, you know, a great network um, through communicating to people and, and letting them know about it. So hopefully we see a little bit more at nationals because um, usually it's just yeah. Air Force and uh, a couple other people. And um, I enjoy watching it, especially when somebody's good. When somebody's, you know, not to be mean, but when it's like, you know, the lower, lower categories and they don't really, it's, it's kind of boring. Um, not to be me, but, um, just what it is. Yeah. Just from, yeah, no, it's it. different and it's quiet and you know, it's so quiet. It's so weird to fly glider in aerobatics. Cause you just, if you have, if you have two seats, you know, you just sit and chat with the other person. There's no radio, no intercom, no need for it. <laughs> yeah, you know, and when you're on your own, you just hear the wind noise. It's kind of chill. It's kind of fun, but you know, what sucks about it. I, I mentioned this in my article already, but, uh, if you screw up a tail slide, it takes you like 40 minutes to try again. That's what really is hard about it. 
you just really rue your mistakes because you have to land, get back in the queue, get on the toe, go back up and you get one more tail slide you can do, maybe two, you know, oh, and geez. that's all you Gosh, get. Gosh, I didn't even think about that. You know, and it's really easy to make mistakes, of course. So you you get to where you have to make every flight really count. You have to think ahead of what you're going to try and do. Oh, so all these guys yeah. that are like practicing in the Alps that have all that lift out there, they could just stay up yeah. and practice all day. True, true. Yeah, they're cheating, aren't they? Yeah, totally. And it's cheaters. also expensive because you people think it's cheaper, but you got to you got to have two airplanes. So you're yeah. you're not getting you're not getting by cheaper. You know, you're getting by with a little bit more expense, really. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Um, but I, I will say I'm, I have registered for glider um, at the at nationals and power. Oh, so cool! I hope wow. Both, yeah, unlimited both. Nice. Jeez. Are you judging too? Yeah, I'm judging unlimited. And flying, I don't know. <laughs> no, I, 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 I did, 10. I did, 11. <laughs> I, I like to judge the advanced, um, you know, guys. Um, so I did put my name in, but I don't think it's possible to work out the schedule. And I'll have duties as president, maybe somewhere in there. Who knows? So I, I want to be careful not to overbook myself. Yeah, no, absolutely. Are you um, pretty excited for nationals this year? I feel like um, nationals this year and then next year are, are going to be, are, are, I don't know, for some reason more exciting um, than than maybe previous years, a lot of shakeups with advanced and unlimited. I feel like yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be huge. You heard it here first. We're going to have a huge, huge nationals. Uh, <laughs> huge. I, I really believe we are. I, yeah. I think um, we have uh, for the first time in years, we have more than 4,000 IAC members. I just found that out the other day. That's, really awesome. that's great. That. That's yeah, great. So we're, we're trending up. Um, some of that's because the pandemic's over. People want to fly, of course. And I think there's going to be a lot of excitement about going to nationals again. And we have a great venue. We have a, a, a really good CD. Doug Bartlett's going to be taking care of things yeah. and uh, he did a good job last time. Everybody was happy with him last time. So I think he's going to do a great job this time and it's just, yeah, everybody should show up and just have a good time. That's what it's that's about. going to happen. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it's about. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, we, made it through my, we made it through my fleet now. Yeah. So I definitely want to, we're through the fleet. What do I have next on the topic? I want to talk about Oshkosh because I love Oshkosh and you know, I'm, I'm actually a little bit worried with Oshkosh. I was talking to somebody the other day because, you know, um, it's been, I guess, a year and a half. And I think that the amount of people that are going to go to this thing is going to be scary big. And it's like, what do you do with all these people? Um, you know, if you're not ready for it, if, if it's not, you know, because I think it's hard getting staff nowadays um, and, and everything like that and, and labor. So, you know, I think it's on the plus side, I think it's going to be really, really big. Uh, as far as uh, attendance, but you know, you think that could be a problem or do you, do you anticipate something like that? Yeah, it's going to be a big problem. It's going to be one we'll have to solve together for sure. It's uh, they're expecting the last I heard was 20% additional attendance over their previous record high. And uh, you know, you're right. They've had trouble staffing. If they've been advertising positions that are open for a while, I, I don't know if they ever got them all filled. Uh, we've had trouble getting volunteers to run the IAC stuff. We're getting it done. But it hasn't been as easy maybe as it has in past years. And we also still have some coronavirus restrictions that hopefully are going to be fully lifted by the time the event happens. But previously, a couple months ago, they were telling us you can only have like, I can't remember, but like 30 people in the pavilion area, in the forum, what? Which, would be, which would be crazy, you know, and if that's the restriction, that, that's, of course. Yeah, that guts it. Yeah, we'd have, to, we'd have to live with it if that's the restriction. And I don't remember the exact number. I think it was 35. But that really doesn't make a, you know, a productive forum session, I felt like. But we've got that all lifted now, and I understand we can have somewhere near 200 people at our IAC member gathering, which is uh, probably more than we've ever had anyway. But yeah. I think we could be busting at the seams, and I'm hoping yeah. that um, you know I, I I 
I, I of course I want to follow all the rules. I, 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 cause I don't like to be in trouble as, as often as I get in trouble. You'd be surprised to learn. I don't like to get in trouble, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I, I am also one of those people who, um, I don't like rules that I can't follow. They bother me. I don't like having rules that I have to just kind of look through the way on. So when we have these rules for air venture, I always want to make sure they're realistic. And I'm concerned that we're going to have not even enough staff to contain people. If they have a rule that says you can't have more than so many people in an area, I don't have any way to, to guarantee that unless we have people that could do it, you know? So I think that it's going to be a real challenge and I think we're not going to realize how much of a challenge until we show up and, and get it sorted out. But I do know the people that the A that are in charge of this and they are uh, very good and we're going to, everything's going to get figured out. So I, I don't think we should stay away because it's going to be too busy or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing that's kind of weird is they're planning on doing, I believe this plan is still to do two air show lines. That to me two, is, is, I'm just going to say it. I think that's the stupidest idea in the world. I haven't met a fan of it and I've have had um, a couple of conversations with people where they, they tell me it's going to work out really well. So I'm just going to wait and see how it goes. But yeah, I, I think it's uh, from a performer standpoint, I wouldn't be very, I'm not performing this year, but I wouldn't be very happy. Well, um, I definitely want to concerned. talk about you performing at Oshkosh. I had an idea, but just with this two air show thing, like if you can hypothetically put, put a scene together where it's like these, these guys talking about going to Oshkosh and then all of a sudden, like, comes across the news like Oshkosh just announced that instead of two air, yeah. air show boxes, there's going to be one. Do you think that those people are going to be like, well, screw this shit. I'm not going. Like, no, they're still going to yeah. go. So what's what's your point? I get the, the coolness factor of it, but it's not going to make you gain anything. There's no gain to it. There's sort of a um, there's a there's a mentality I really like. This is if we're going to talk about the whack this year, it'll come up again. Um, I don't know if we're going to touch on that this conversation, but the mentality yeah. I kind of like is that um, you know, the show must go on. <clears throat> That's a really, really good idea. It's really hard to find fault with it. But, you know, you end up with, uh, maybe maybe they're trying to make the show go on. Maybe they're trying to make the show go on and plan for two flight lines when there were more coronavirus restrictions. And maybe they don't need to do that now. And I kind of wonder if maybe that's the case, but I think they've already planned it out and maybe they have to go with it. I, yeah. I, I don't really know what the exact plan is. I'm not going to um, say it's a bad plan, but I've heard from performers who are like, you know, just, just in casual conversation, like, oh, Jim, this is going to be a mess. I don't know how this is going to work. And yeah. that's not a good sign. So hopefully it's a good show for the public and everybody's safe. That's all you really have to have. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I understand we, the, the idea behind it, you know, of, of spreading out crowds, right? Of separating the crowds at least a little bit instead of having, I don't know, I don't know what who sits on the crowd line or the show line um, on a given Oshkosh day. But, you know, what if they split it between, you know, if it's 10,000 instead of 20,000. Um, yeah, the idea that, that maybe they could be a little, little socially distant. I, I can yeah. understand that, that that's a, I can understand that concept, you know? Um, totally. we've had air show. I did an air show that they had, um, an area for people to do normal things, mill around what I'll call normal, you know, go to the vendors, um, sit next to each other, whatever they wanted to do. And they had an area for people to go to their cars and they were six foot distant from other cars and they could sit only near their car. And that was a, probably a really good approach. But what was funny about that is, you know, you walk the show line after your show and you sign autographs and everything. And I got to that spot at the end of the row where it was all the, I don't know what to say, but like the social distance or quarantine area. And I'm not supposed to go over there because they're, you know, they're, they're being distant and you could see the people still wanted you to, you know, they put themselves over there, but they, they weren't really very happy to be there. I feel like. So I think that it's just, uh, just people aren't quite sure what to do. They don't know where to put themselves or how to make themselves feel safe. Yeah. And I think, but I think once you get to where there's enough of this stuff opened up, people will, will just kind of throw caution to the wind 
and just go back to how we were before. I really hope we do that at some point because it's just so much more fun to be able to engage. Yeah, yeah we, we have to. We have to. It's just the natural order, I suppose. Yeah. Yep. But uh, apparently, we're just still on that cusp, but we haven't quite gotten there. And and uh, it takes some bravery on the part of some people. Um, and, and whenever someone's brave, other people can say they're being foolish. That's how bravery looks, you yeah. know. But um, it takes some bravery on the part of some people to to make this this kind of cultural change back to how it was before. Yeah. Well, and the organizers too, there's, there's liability, you know, that, that these, you know, like the EAA doesn't need to get a class action lawsuit, uh, put against it for, you know, putting, uh, or making, you know, uh, endangering the public for <laughs> anything or, um, yeah. you know, these, I, you know, I don't know. I, I guess I, uh, my, I, I don't know. It, it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing. I, I, I understand why why some of these shows would want to still have some protocols in place, um, but then again, it's you know, especially the outdoor portions. Like, okay, let's let's work on maybe some of the indoor spots, uh, just just because there's still maybe a little bit of a corona uh, coronavirus problem. But you're outside watching the air show. I don't know that two um, two aerobatic boxes uh, to to spread out the crowd is necessarily the most effective means of uh, you know keeping people safe i don't know yeah we, we will certainly see i mean I, I have a lot of opinions on all this i'm sure everybody does everybody's listening to this has their opinions and yeah. we, we we're not gonna get too far by trying to you know to to share them all right here everybody has them and i, I think they should stick with them because um i'm honestly to some extent i'm just tired of talking about it to be really honest about it's it exhausting it goes away yeah, yeah. It, and i don't i don't want to pretend to be an expert i don't want to hear other people who pretend to be an expert i'm just ready for it to be done i have yep. retail stores and I've my instruction I've given to the retail stores is that we will be open to the maximum extent allowable by law at all times. That's the best thing I can do. And I just think that we just at that point trust people in government to make the right decisions and put people in government who will make right decisions if we don't trust them. You know, that's that's yeah. all you can really do because we're we are not gonna get anywhere by by everybody individually deciding how everybody else should behave. It's just too controlling. Yeah, yeah. totally. And and the reality is is that that I mean, I'm certainly not an expert, and I think most people that have a an expert opinion on these subjects are not experts. <laughs> Right. You right. know, like, uh, you know, I'm just a pilot. So it's, it's right. so funny, you know, being an airline pilot, you know, you, sh- you share the cockpit with somebody else and, and, and you have hours on end to talk about this kind of stuff with somebody. And, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, well, this is what they should do. This is that this and that. It's like, dude, you're a pilot. You're not right. an epidemiologist <laughs> or, you know, any kind of you're not in the medical field at all or you don't know any about anything about this any more than I do. So it's like, yeah, come on. yeah, but yeah. yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Well, we all read our favorite blogs and get ourselves uh all the confirmation bias. That's like, it. And, yeah. That's it. <laughs> oh my God. Yep. One thing yep. that Oshkosh did that I thought was really neat is uh, one year they had somebody, I always forget this guy's name. Um, he flew an extra, you know, with smoke and did a uh, competition sequence during your adventure. And I thought that was a really neat thing that, that they did. Um, I forget the kid's name, but yeah, I can't remember um, his name. Yeah. Yeah. But, is there something in the future? Obviously, Air Ventures to everything's been planned. But is there? Have you thought about doing stuff in the future to help? Because it's such a great base of people there. Um, to maybe do something that during the show for the IAC. Yeah, we 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 did talk about that quite a bit. And the challenge is that we have to have somebody who's um, who's experienced as a competitor and as an air show pilot, and most of them are already in the show. Uh, so you know, what we want to do is find somebody. Uh, uh, at the IAC flying at the upper levels, of the IAC who has their surface waiver, maybe yeah. or something like that. Well, there just isn't, I mean, I'm, I'm one of them. 
I was Rob, just going to say, have that. you ever heard of Jim? I Burke? was going to suggest uh, <laughs> maybe that the IAC president would would be yeah. a great choice. It was funny. It was funny when they uh, uh, someone there called and said, "Hey, who does who does the IAC want in the show?" I was like, "Oh, I, I know, I want myself in the show." We've mentioned it but on I this podcast. At least I can't five say times. that. So, yeah. So I, I just um, we end up uh, selecting Greg Koontz to fly to the IAC. Greg has been a longtime supporter of the IAC, and um, his show will be uh, part of the IAC presentation. We also have another uh, oh, show. Great. That uh, we're doing some some stuff with, but I would love to see a show that's that really is about the competition aerobatics. I think we need that. I, I think we have such an opportunity there at AirVenture. We're right in the middle of the flight line, for goodness sakes, and we don't do enough. All this aerobatic activity going on, yeah. we don't do enough to draw attention to the the guys who are doing the air, the, the people I should say who are doing the aerobatics. So I'm, I'm working with them on uh, getting more flight line interviews. They'll be interviewing uh, Mike Goulian, uh, Rob Holland, and myself in relation to competition aerobatics on the flight line. We'll have those interviews. Um, I also have a few appearances I'm making at the home builders, builders area and other places to yeah. bring people from all these different disciplines over to the aerobatic center so we can talk about aerobatics with them. Yeah. I mean, cause all the top guys, Rob, uh, Don Goulian, all those guys, um, you know, it's, it comes, I, a lot, I don't want to say owed, um, cause obviously I, that's not the right word, but you know, competition aerobatics and the IAC, you know, had a big part of, um, of how they fly and, and being safe and everything like that. And, um, you know, to somebody who's going to Oshkosh, who has never heard of the IAC, um, it's going to be hard for them to hear about it unless it's, you know, marketed towards them. And it'd be cool just to make them make an announcement while they, I don't know anything because it's, yeah, it'd be neat. And I loved what they did too with that Giles MX thing. Remember they celebrated the anniversary of the Giles and they were doing like, just, it was so simple too, like banana passes and everything. I thought that was the coolest thing, you know, to have, be able to fly an air venture and display your plane. And it was related to aerobatics. It's, it, it was really neat. Unfortunately, home buildings kind of moved away from aerobatics. It used to be what home building was, a, was largely about. And the, the RV is sometimes, sometimes shows up in competitions, but we don't really have a, a home built, a popular home built airplane that, um, you know, is seen as modern, modern technologies. Yeah. yeah. It's a really good competition airplane. So, Unfortunately, it's, you know, the EA is all about the home, not unfortunately, but EA is about the home building and we need to find a way to, uh, to get people excited about the aerobatic aspects of it. If we just get the, the people to, to start thinking about that, then eventually somebody's going to go, Hey, you know, I should be able to design an airplane that can fly in competitions also. Yeah. You find that that, that, um, dynamic causes, uh, maybe not a fissure between the IAC and the EAA, but, um, is it hard to get, um, support from the EAA because yeah. of that gap? There's, there has been, um, over, like any long relationship, there have been um, hurts caused by both sides. And uh, that's certainly the case in the EA's relationship with the IAC. There are people in the IAC who have a lot of problems with the EAA. But in my experience so far, the EAA has been very, very good to work with. Jack Pelton is um, uh, extremely easy to talk to. And every time I've come to him with a problem, he said, okay, let's 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 solve this together. And what, what uh, can happen very easily is um, in the IAC, because we feel a little cloistered, and we feel a little, um, uh, maybe neglected. Um, like, like, yeah, neglected. It's the right word. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you. But, um, you know, when we feel that way, we sometimes don't feel bold enough to ask for help. Or sometimes we might even, you know, claim that nobody's helping us when we're not really even sure what we want from, from them, you know? So it's, it gets really hard to have those conversations, uh, when they're, they're coming from that place. We have to be constructive. We have to stop thinking of it as, you know, imagine we're victims, Imagine we can't get what we want. We have to imagine we can get what we want and then ask for it. And right. I think if we, if we do that, I believe we get detention every time. I haven't really seen where we have it. 
there was some problems when we had the nationals at Oshkosh, you know, some really big problems and, uh, it was a tough deal. It did not work out. It was a, uh, not a, not a bad idea to try it. I will say that, um, I think it was a really smart idea to try it, but it did not work. But then, um, and the board was upset, rightfully so. And the, and the people who ran the event were upset, rightly so. And everybody was upset. But at some point, Jack Pelton came into the boardroom for the IC meeting and just profusely apologized. He said he knew that they hadn't done enough. He wanted to do more. And if we stuck with him, he would, he would make sure that they took care of us. But he understood that we might not do that and let us make the decision. We decided to move, which is probably the right decision, by the way. I don't, I don't disagree with that decision at all. But the point is that, um, you know, we didn't get his attention on those things. And when we did, he seemed to be ready to help out. I think he's very ready to help out with everything we want to do. It's yeah. that kind of vision that, that they can help us with. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And we, we, Mark and I spoke about this too prior that, you know, obviously everybody's got grandiose ideas, but I think narrowing it down to the top three items that I don't want to say the word change or I would, you know, like something that you need to improve on or add to this organ because it's a great organization for what you get. And um, I think that's really where the priority is because, you know, people that want to help, whether it's Mark or with his Hawaiian shaved ice or me, whatever, you know, we want to help, but it's, we don't know what the, uh, the target is, you know, to throw yeah. our doors at. And um, yeah. I think it's membership and, and, you know, I've been trying to, to just get non-flying people to, to join up and maybe eventually um, they'll, they might get an aerobatic plane or find a way to rent one and try to steer them in the right direction. Because I mean, for $50, um, I don't know what other club you can get for 50 bucks that gives you what the IAC does. So, um, yeah, I just think yeah. well, the EAA is, um, it's, we, sometimes I hear as, as president, I hear a lot of, a lot of things, of course, it's good. I don't want to say anything now that would make someone feel like they can't talk to me. I want to, everyone know I'm open, but there are things I hear over and over again. And that uh, doesn't mean I can't talk to you about them, but I want everyone to know I've, I hear from people that the, our relationship with the EAA is no good for us. I've heard that a lot, but I was going to ask you that. And that's, that was kind of like, um, yeah. why I asked about, um, you know, the relationship dynamic there. And I was my, my kind of follow-up question, which is a little poignant, but, um, has there been talks or thoughts about they basically disbanding from the EAA and, and becoming a, um, its own entity? You know, it's, um, it's absolutely something that we could do, but anyone who's interested in that idea needs to look at the bylaws and, um, you know, our, 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 our uh, club, it's not even right now. I mean, it wouldn't even be possible. We'd have to have a change of the bylaws, which would require a member vote, you know, a, a majority member vote. It wouldn't even be a board decision. Um, we would have, we have no, like we have no membership system of our own. That's the EA's membership system. We have no way to publish a magazine. That's the EA's publication system. Now we pay for that, you know, and then you can go through the numbers and people sometimes will say, well, we pay them too much. Well, that's a negotiating point if you think we are, but you're going to have to go and do the work to figure out what it would cost elsewhere before I'm going to believe that. I don't think it is probably, uh, you know, outrageously expensive. It's probably very competitive, I believe. We've done some work to see. But these are just, you know, um, those are the kind of arguments that, that you can make. Well, we should find a way to make it cheaper for ourselves. Okay, that's fair. But the, but if we were to take advantage of what the EA offers, let's look at it this way for a minute. Where else could we go to access the people that we need to talk to? We would probably be able to survive as a smaller organization on our own entirely, granted. But the opportunity that we could that we have to reach people is so much greater with the EAA. And it really pays off when we do something like National Aerobatics Day, for example. Yeah. Where we have this this resource, we're able to push out press releases and have and 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 look significant to people. If I if, if IAC was out there with fewer members pushing out a press release and trying to get attention from, you know, all these different aviation groups, 
we might not get any any anybody who even knows who we are. But when the EAA, I was a huge fan of uh, National Aerobatics Day. I thought that was a great a great initiative. It was it was a a, a tremendous success. Nothing was more satisfying um, than to sit there on that weekend and just see text after text and Facebook message after Facebook message and hear from people overseas that were celebrating. You know. Yeah. And uh, so much enthusiasm. And, the, and, the, and I deliberately made it so that people would have to be creative. We didn't really give them a lot to go on. We told them it's about celebrating it, find a way to celebrate it. And some people did um, flyouts, and some people had um, you know contests and some people gave people rides and they had fly, a fly in or two here and there, you know, and we, now we've kind of seen what works, I think, and next year will be even bigger. So uh, thank you. I, I think it was a great success for us and, and cheap. We didn't really spend any money. You know, we got, we got uh, press releases went out for the Academy of Model Aeronautics and IMAC as well, the, their aerobatics group. Uh, the NAA sent things out. We had uh, pickups by, um, you know, I, I'm not going to keep naming them, but, uh, you know, obviously the EAA and, and a lot of aviation groups picked it up. Uh, even like Extra in Germany did a post on it for that day. Yeah. My friends my friends from overseas that fly competition were asking me all about it. You know, it's just it just went viral in a way, and we can do better next year with more, you know, more effort on it. So it's uh, the kind of thing you can do very cheaply, that it's a lot easier to do with EAA's involvement than it would be if we were on our own. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, that's, that's great. And uh, my question was not to suggest that that be a viable option yeah. to, to um, um, kind of start off on, on its own, uh, you know, and, and leave the EAA. Um, it's just, it's fascinating to hear um, the grumblings uh, that, that people have uh, with regard to the EAA in terms of the IAC. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's an interesting dynamic that I, yeah. I I guess maybe I didn't really even put that together or realize it until you you said it. Um, well, we've debated it as a board before. We've discussed it. Um, you know what's what's in our best interest, which we should do. And so far, there's never been a motion that I'm aware of that's that's actually you know been directed towards that idea. Though it has been discussed, and different times, you know, people are upset about different things, and sometimes you can have you know it can feel like a problem's insurmountable, and out of frustration, people will say things that maybe they, they wouldn't say. Otherwise, there's never been an official effort to do it, though it does come up quite a bit. And uh, I, I wouldn't support it. You know, I don't think it's the right move. Yeah. But uh, at the end of the day, if that's what the membership wanted, then that membership was going to get what they want. So I've, I've served the membership and I would have to just, you know, um, I, what I would do if, when people bring this up is I just tell them how that would work. And then I kind of expect they're not going to have the, you know, the, the energy to go fall through on all the things they have to do to make it happen, you know. Yeah. But, uh, but that's that's not that's not a ploy. I mean, it's just really what you'd have to do. I'm not going to do that work. I'm not going to be going through all the work to, to take us away from the EAA. If somebody wants to do it and present something to the board, Hey, here's how it's going to work. Then I'll put it in front of the board for a vote. because That's my job. Yeah. So where do you, where um, do you kind of, with the IAC, where do you, I don't want to say like, where do you see us going, but like what in, in a perfect world, um, what would be one of your biggest um, goals or if you can do anything with the uh, click of the heels, uh, what would you like to do? Well, I, I would, um, I want to fulfill the IAC's mission, which is uh, pretty broad and it just has to do with aerobatics in general. So I want to see yeah. as many people competing and uh, not necessarily competing actually, but just, and, and I always say that, you know, um, uh, partaking in the, the joyful celebration of aerobatics is one of the things I like to say, you know, it doesn't matter really how you do it to me, but I want people to be safe. I want them to be able to fly precisely. And what separates the, the IAC from the EAA uh, the EA has a lot of people flying aerobatics in their RVs going to get a hamburger, but the IAC has, um, has a lock on the precision aspect. I don't care if you fly a competition or not, but the IAC is about flying with precision. It's about taking it seriously and it's about practice. It's about being, um, disciplined. 
And that's what separates the IAC from everything else. In fact, it even separates the IAC from ICAST, which is the Airshow Group, the International Council of yeah. Airshow. We are we achieve a hot, much higher level of precision than most airshow pilots that I see, by far. That a lot of them would do a lot better if they would go and fly a couple of competitions. And th- they're still good pilots, but they're not flying precisely. Uh, so you can you can call them out by name if you want. <laughs> I think we I think we all know who the good ones are and the bad ones are. Just go on go on YouTube, go on YouTube, you'll see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, okay, well, I'm not going to go any deeper than that I already did. I'm kidding. But yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's good. It's good. Uh, I, I'm tempted, but I'm not going to do it. But um, you know, we we have a lock on that precision, and that's what makes us different. So I think that um, to me the, the well, not to me. The, the organization has a mission, and the mission is to bring this sport, to bring this um, this this um, endeavor, to bring this challenge of flying an aircraft with precision to as many people as possible, as broadly as possible. And, and I will do um, anything with the category structure to facilitate that. Anything with our marketing to facilitate that. That's our mission. I also want us to win a world championship. And sometimes when I talk about that. I have to be careful because people think I would give up anything to win a world championship. That's ridiculous. Of course not. This is, a, this is the mission of the IEC. Our job is to win world championships and provide all the support that grassroots pilots need. We need both of those things. And we don't get to pick. We have to do it all. But uh, winning a world championship is important to me because we haven't done it in over 30 years. And that's so, a blight on the United States record. We should be able to win a, a world. Can I throw something at you? And you don't have to answer this, but this is, this is kind of something that I've thought about. And it's obviously just my opinion and everybody can take it with a grain of salt and hate me because of it. So every year, every other year, the advanced team has, um, we'll use advanced, for example, they have a team selection and nine times out of 10, the uh, competitions in Europe and you got to ship your plane and it's a ton of money. And the people that don't do that usually don't support the SIVA rules or are kind of anti, um, and I think you know where I'm going with this, anti, you know, world aerobatics and, you know, team, blah, blah, blah. But now that the, for instance, the team selection is going to be in Gene, Nevada, those same people are going to be trying out for the team and wanting to keep it in their all pro you know, yeah. Siva <laughs> and this and that. So like, yeah. it's, it's, I don't think there's, I'm looking for an answer, but you know, for me, it's, it's frustrating. Cause I see people that go for the team every year. They, they put the sacrifice in and, and some of them really are on a shoestring budget and they're really trying their hardest to do it. And then, you know, against people, you know, crying out against C, doing some Siva free unknowns and this and that, and it's not IAC and yada, yada, yada. And then all of a sudden it's in Gene, Nevada, and you're going to get, I mean, we're going to get 50, however many, it's going to be triple, quadruple the amount of competitors that are going to try out for the team next year at the uh, Nationals. So I don't know if, if you have an opinion on that or if well, <laughs> or I mean, I don't wants to say something, that, but it's just frustrating, <laughs> you know? I mean, I, I, I've really trained, I've been, uh, uh, I've been, I've been leading organizations for a long time and had a public profile of sorts on the internet, at least for a long time. And I've learned not to take offense at how fickle people can be because it would just drive me crazy. It wouldn't change them at all. So I don't, I don't really take offense at that, but you're right. Uh, but I've, I've had the same sort of thought, I guess that someday we'll win a, a world championship and everybody will claim it was their idea all along, you know, sort of the same kind of thought because, it, because not winning is really hard on people and they have to have reasons why they don't win. And, and they usually project, it's hard to take um, stock personally of how you weren't good enough. Um, but you know, the projections would be something about how it's not fair and it may not be, but the, you know, projection would be something about how, um, it's too expensive and okay. You know, lots of things are too expensive. Those things, those complaints might be true, 
But if you win, then you, those complaints kind of go away. And uh, maybe the cards are stacked against, against us. Okay, you know, that, that might be true. I don't really know. Uh, I, th I think they probably are in international competition. But here, like you just said, we have one coming to our own backyard. And we have an opportunity to win. And that opportunity also presents us um, uh, another opportunity, which is to get more members and to push people up the ranks from intermediate to advanced so they can fly at a world contest. Yeah. And, um, and you know, and, and I, I think it's, I wouldn't say, um, it doesn't make me angry, but sometimes it makes me sad that people, so many people live in a, such a negative place that they can't see all the opportunity that abounds all over them, all their lives, never taking advantage of it. Maybe not even because they're afraid of the risk, but because they just don't think the good thing can happen. What a terrible thing. And I don't live that way. I don't want, I don't want people in the IEC to live that way. Yeah, it's really we underutilizing have, potential. Yeah, we have an opportunity to win a world championship. We have an opportunity to field a talented group of people. We have two years to get people ready to fly at this thing and be the best in the world. And everything else is a distraction to me. I don't, I don't really want to debate. You know, um, and I'm not trying to call out board members at all because they're really good people. But we do sometimes have these things come up at the board meetings about SIVA, you know, being a, a bunch of uh, jerks. And, you know, <laughs> sometimes I'm not, I'm not always happy with them either. I'm mad at them right now. Yeah. Honestly, over what happened oh with God. the WAC this year. WAC so was, was a real, yeah. Yeah, you got to have your emotions pure. And, and I'm I'm not a, afraid or ashamed to be angry at them. But they're not going away. And we don't want them to go away. All we want to do is get some attention sometimes. So, and and it's, it's okay to be angry. And it's okay for them to do things we don't like. Yeah. We're not in control of everything. Uh, yeah. We can't just take our ball and go home. But do we have to get, stay involved and stay engaged and let our feelings be known and um, and promote people to the upper ranks of this thing? that will pay attention to us. So that's, that's the game. It's a long-term vision that it takes to win a world. It can't happen next year because it takes time, but, but it's not, it's also not magic. It's not beyond us. It's something we have to work for and, uh, and we can get there if we, if we do that. Yeah, I totally agree. And especially, you well know, said. back, backtrack into your adding a, a six category, you know, which I'm assuming would, would have a tail slide. Uh, you know, we have a team selection year for advance and, you know, the uh, men and women, go over to, to Europe and in order to make this the team, you don't, you don't do the same figures that you're going to see at a world event. So it's, you know, we're always kind of starting almost as a team because every team is usually has a couple new members or it's different every year. So you're kind of starting a little bit late with, with training already. Cause you don't even know how to do it. You know, a lot of people didn't practice tail slides or something like that. You know, well, so this is the tug and this is the tug of war that's been so damaging to us as pilots forget for a moment that there's an international competition, American pilots, are not able to fly as well. And that's that's horrible. We are not able to fly aerobatics as well as they can overseas. And I, I hate to deliver that message to everybody, <clears throat> but if you go to a world competition, you see it firsthand that they can field in, in France, they can field a team and they have a deep roster and they can put eight people on that team. And we might not have anyone in the US except for Rob who could qualify, who could even come close to qualifying. And I don't, I don't mean any disrespect to the people who've scored better than me either. They're good pilots. But in any given year, they tend to have you know, 15, 20 people who would beat us? Who are and they, the they have a waiting out. or the, yeah, out. and the people that don't make the team are still. I mean, yeah. the amount of yeah. people even going for that team or that want to be on that team is larger than. than yeah, the US. You can make, people can make arguments all they want about um, how um, they get some of their they get some money from the government. That's true. It's not as true as it used to be, but that's true. They do get some, and you can also argue the judges might be biased. Okay, that's true, but go watch the flying with your own eyes and tell me what you see, because everybody who's done that. I've talked to everybody who's competed at the Worlds, and we all agree that they're flying better than us. So forget for a minute that we're losing. Forget SIVA. The, the question is, why aren't we flying as well? That's really the thing to chew on. And uh, Jeff's bringing up a point, well, well, our sequences are easier. 
And there's an argument in the the U.S. that uh, we have to make our sequences easier to get more people. There might be some value there, but at some point we're going to have to get people who can actually fly the sequences really, really well at the high levels too, right? Do we just want to make it easier and make people feel better? Is that an American way of looking at things? Do we learn in our childhood that everything would be easier for us? I think the challenge is there to make us better. And these, uh, if other people (laughs) could face that challenge, why can't Americans? What, yeah. what on earth? We have more money and more time than anybody on the planet. Why can't we be the best? It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to anybody I know who's been on the team in a recent year. I think there's a, a people who've been on the team um, and who, who um, you know, who've been doing this longer than I have, who rightfully have a little bit of, um, you know, frustration they feel and it has to go out somewhere. I understand that. Maybe I'll feel that way, you know, 10 or 20 years from now after I beat my head against this wall for, <laughs> for longer. But, uh, but I watched the videos and I've, I've been to these contests and they're just simply flying better. And they're able to do things with precision and, um, and ease that we really struggle with. I'm going to ramble a little bit here, but I mean, I've been, even at a regional contest, I, I always be careful to be generous to everybody because I don't want to make anyone feel like I'm coming down on them. But I've seen the flying at our regional levels and right. I've seen the flying at the club level in France and you cannot compare them. They don't move up until they're ready. They don't let them move up until they're ready. And they are really good. Mm-hmm. And they all can critique each other. They all know what they're looking for. And I, that would that would also um, when you have that kind of body of knowledge, their judging gets better because there's more people inculcated. Do in you think there's more oversight um, over that process? There must be um, than the U.S. in terms of, you know, um, you can move, you can you can pick essentially whatever category you want with little oversight in the U.S. Um, so you can compete in sportsman once, get third, second, and move yeah. up to an intermediate, get fourth. And then move up to advanced and get dead last. It, I think it, it's yeah. I, I think there's some really interesting things that are differences that make it hard for us to do exactly what they do. I think that that is a good strategy for them. I think it's working really well. I also think they have a, a club system and a, um, a plane sharing system. You know, with yeah. club plane ownership that allows many people to share the expense of the airplanes instead of what we do in the U.S., where everybody individually. Buys I really want to see that here. I really, I don't know how we yeah. can do it, but I really, really want to see that here. I mean, and private airplane ownership is awesome, but it does make people in the U.S. tend to um, to buy a little bit less expensive airplanes than they share overseas. You know, so there's a little bit of a disadvantage there too. And just the fact that everybody's flying different aircraft instead of overseas, we have almost everybody's flying the 330SC. Maybe yeah. that's good or it's bad in some ways. But the good thing is they all know how to fly it and they all know how to talk to each other about how to fly it. We'll talk about the the network of knowledge um, of how those airplanes break, how they fly well, what they do and what they don't. And when you have, you know, dozens of people flying this fleet type, this specific airplane, uh, you're you're the the tribal knowledge is uh, huge. I mean, that and that's so much. I'm sure so much to the way they fly is there. There's just you can just almost write down on paper exactly what that airplane can and can't do and how you do it. Um, that's right. That's right. Have, you know, they, they know exactly the airspeeds to be at. They, they, I mean, it's funny. Uh, when I first was talking to some of them over there and training over there and they were asking us, well, what does the U S team use for, you know, snap roll speed of this situation? I have no idea. Hold my beer. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, it's number 11 on scale of one to 10. We're always flying fast. Oh, no, no, no. How can you do that? No, no, you must be at the right airspeed. You know, they just have that figured out. Now let me, let me stop for a second and say, that there's nobody in the USA who's bad. There's nobody in the USA who's um, who's unable. What we have is a training problem, strictly a training problem. We we don't have um, we don't have a way to get people from where they are to where they need to be. That's the problem that we're facing in the US. It's not even yeah. about the aircraft. 
because you can and play any aircraft. You can't but, really solve that problem, or at least well, it's it's a hard problem. It's 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 always going to be a problem. I guess it just depends on how you can curate the logistics of of meeting that problem. Because I mean, the United States is so big uh, in comparison to these other countries. It is. It is. It's a, that is a challenge. But we also have more pilots, more more airports, and more freedoms than we have overseas. I, I think it's just uh, my solution so far is. Uh, what I believe is if we um, grow the sport, make it more accessible to people, make it more visible to people, and we get more people involved and we get more people seeing the reality that we're just not as good, as hard as that is for me to say, and no one wants to hear it from me. I can tell you I've had many people get very angry at me for saying this because they want to think it's it's we're getting screwed, right? Yeah. But we aren't. And maybe, maybe we are in some ways, but we aren't getting screwed on the day of the contest. Maybe we have some disadvantages. Maybe it's not fair. Maybe Steve is a bunch of jerks, whatever. But we're not getting screwed on the day of the flying. I can tell you that. We're not as good on that day. But the more people who understand that and accept it and uh, and sort of work with it instead of trying to deny it, the better, the closer we're getting to finding a solution. Um, well, it's, it's a lot easier to complain about now. And I'm not saying there isn't bias judging there. There absolutely there's no way to not have some level of bias. It's human nature, whether that's quantifiable in any way, shape or form uh, is an argument for another day and and, and hard to prove. Um, but. Well, it's no, it definitely exists, but then we also have the part where I've seen it with my own eyes and I've seen the better pilots win and the, the, right. you know, bias is there. Bias well, but is it's easier, there. it's easier to make that argument than it is to maybe look at, to face the, uh, the reality. It's, you know, this is an emotional reaction that people are having by saying, oh, how can you, how dare you say that? You know, and it's like, it's easier to blame bias judging and, and, and other things like that than to, to maybe look in and, and kind of really face that problem of, of the flying aspect of it. And that's something years. that the French and certainly the Germans would never do. They would never approach it like that. It's, you know, it's, it would always be about making yourself better and flying better. And that maybe there, maybe that like that focus in inward and not worrying about what everybody else is doing is, is what's making them fly better as a team and, and individually as a whole. I don't know. Well, it brings us to you know, the the subject of the whack this year, I suppose, because we have, we, it is true that SIVA is, um, is, it's not, um, it's it is um it can be controlled by a very small number of con- countries that that reside within hundreds of miles of each other instead of thousands. It is not that it's not to say that they don't always think of what's in the USA and Australia and uh, South Africa's best interests. But if they stop thinking of what's in our best interests, they can still get done whatever it is they want. And you know, and SIVA has been and continues to be um, largely run by continental Europeans. That's true, and there probably is some judging bias that's built into that that they probably can't help because they see each other all the time and they know each other. And it's sort of what, like what happens when you go from one region to another to compete and you get, everybody says that, that, you know, that judge is biased because they're the coach of this person. And they're, they're probably not wrong. That probably does happen. I mean, you can't, how can you say it doesn't people can't help it. Like you said, but you know, regardless, you still can't, you still can't just claim to be a victim and sit on your bottom and whine about it. You're going to have to find a way to solve it. And maybe that means we need better controls in SIVA. We have the um, the meeting, the plenary it's called, in November in Dallas, Texas. It's going to be in the U.S. this year. And we intend to just fight for what we need to have to make it so the sport can be fair. Um, and um, and, I, and I'm honestly not even sure exactly what that is. It's a tough problem to solve. Yeah. But to, to me, a lot of it is just about getting better information for our pilots. So they know what it, what it looks like to be good. So they don't have to go to the world for the first time and go, oh, shoot, I was supposed to fly like that. I didn't yeah. know that. Do you know, you that think, to me is where the biggest barrier is. Do you think it would be, well, how hard would it be um, for the U S coach, whether advanced or unlimited to, to give 
for the IAC to give the power of the team to that coach, meaning, you know, um, you have eight pilots, two alternates, and if the alternate search, because you know, you select the team about a year in advance, um, and say six months in, the alternate is flying better than your number four guy. Like, and there's no, um, like grading as far as one through eight, who's the best is, you know, it doesn't matter if you won second at nationals, you could be replaced by a alternate. Do you think that that is something that could be hard? Cause I, I would be in favor of that. Um, would that be something that could be, be done? Cause I feel like the French and the Russians, like they're always, they know they, not that they could be replaced at any time, but they know that they have to produce, they have to train it to take it seriously throughout the year. And then when they get to the worlds, they, they do well. And I feel like there's this thing where called a stigma whatever you want but when you make the u.s team at nationals it's like oh, okay i can relax and it's like no like that should be the time where you start busting your hump to train even harder beginning. yeah well you raise a, a good point it has been discussed that um the coach should have more leeway here's the challenge that i have with that is that the um the way that our team works is we have a bunch of people who are independently wealthy enough to fly competition who are selected to be a part of a team, and then they pick all of the structure that they will that they want for their team. And I think if you're going to try and do the route that you're talking about, it would be more like you the IAC hires a coach; it's a paid position, and to be on the team, you first have to try out and succeed in the coach's eyes, and then you have to pay a fee that supports the coach's salary. Because right now you have a, a team that's really in control of everything. And they, it's very hard for a coach to step in, having been appointed by the team, and then tell the team you can't fly. That person can still fly at the contest. They're, they're using their own money to do it anyway. Correct. There's not really any way to stop them, you know. And uh, the co- and the coach wasn't involved in their selection. So what right do they have to decide who gets to be on the team? You, you and you end up having cronyism. You end up having friends arguing for the position of their friend. Um, I don't know that it would be. I don't know if it would in the end be better. We've kind of tried those kind of ideas before, and the the board has gone back recently to. We've, we've gone back and reviewed the policy procedure documents for that and a couple of the system that, that does not include that idea, you know, yeah. but I, I think that what most teams would do in these situations, is they, the, the, the coach would actually be an employee of the organization. And I would think that would be the better way to do it. Yeah. I, ju- I just think that the, he, the coach would need, if he had more power that, to, to do this. coach's job would be to win. And if the yeah. board felt like the coach couldn't do the job, they would replace them and the team would just deal with it. That's sort of how it works at college football or other, in yeah. other teams. Well, there's there's, there's the, accountability. The manager steps in and says, no coach, you're out. We've got this other coach to come in and the players just deal with it. And you know what? And I fully understand the, the fact, the fact that, you know, oh, well, I'm paying for, for this. It's I bought the airplane and I have to pay my way there and you can't tell me what to do. And, and to me, um, I don't think there's validity to that. I think that when you enter on a team and if there's prior rules and if you want to go for a team goal, it shouldn't be a selfish decision. Um, and you know, if somebody's flying as hard as it is and trust me, I would be truly upset if I was on a team and I got replaced, there's no doubt about it, but that's, that's what being on a team is. If you're not good enough, um, you're going on the bench. Um, and that's just what, it, that's how it works and that's how you win. So I'm not sure this is a good idea, but I, I made the argument one time that, well, maybe what we could do is is um, not select the team members until like three months out, until the decision is made, needs to be made, right? And you just keep everybody practicing. And then three months, four months away from the contest, you know, that's when you make your decision. But I don't know that how many people would hang in with that. So, But it's I like, I'd rather, I'd rather be on a team with four, with four pilots that can fly amazing as opposed to being on a team that has more pilots, but we're all average. 
you know, you know if I could tell you what I think the real, the real, I think it does come back to training, Jeff, is the, I think the real problem is that we select people who are, and man, nobody's, I, I hate to say this stuff, you're getting me to open up a lot, but, um, <laughs> you know, we select people for the team, <laughs> That's what but, she but really uh, this is constructive, right? And it's good to chat about this stuff. I think that yeah. um, we select people for the team who are really only able to be the, you know, the top eight, but not ready to fly at all at the world's right? They are able to be the top eight in the U.S., but everybody in the pool of people that are competing, there's maybe only a few people at the very top that are actually ready to fly at the Worlds. Most of the people that are on the team are not. I wasn't ready when I made the team. I wasn't ready at all. I've probably been ready maybe this year for the first time. I've been trying to be ready. It's a lot of work to be really ready. And I've I've gone to two Worlds now not feeling like I was ready. So I'm, I'm putting myself in this category too. It's still the best option we have to put those people on the team, but they're not ready. So it, if we had a system where everybody was ready by the time they got to the nationals, like they seem to be in other countries, then you would have wonder, a lot better outcome. I wonder if the coach, I mean, it's again, another hard pill for, for a pilot to swallow, but let's say if you keep the same structure as selecting a team, but you know, four months prior or three months prior to going, the coach basically says, okay, you know, you, 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 you guys are going to, this is the team and I'm just, I can't, we can't bring so-and-so because it's if anything, you know, it could hurt the team. Let's say that guy's flying like dog shit and he gets selected first to fly for the US, and that's the first flight that these judges get to see representing the US. It's it's not a good start. So I wonder if if that's something where we can drop people prior to going. Well, we've had um, we definitely could try all kinds of different things. A lot of these ideas have been discussed. I'm I, not against any particular idea. Just like I'm not against category changes to make things easier, as long as it makes the holistic, you know, whole work out yeah. that we win, that we get people involved in the sport. Then I'm in favor of it. And, and what you have to do is you have to get people, you know, a lot of people to um, to understand the problem and how you're trying to solve it. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know how else to to wrap it up except just to say. Um, um, that I think it's a training problem. I really think that's what it is. And I think people are not ready when they go. And I think that's to everyone's disadvantage, but it would take um, a body of knowledge that we don't have right now. I wouldn't even know who to make the coach to solve this problem for us. You know, Rob's the best option we have for sure on the advanced side. If we get to unlimited. Who do you pick? Who would it be? I don't know that anyone in the country is able to do that job. I think probably that we'd have to go overseas to find a coach who's had some success and yeah. try and take him away from someone else if we were trying to think that way. You know, that's hard to do. So yeah. I, I we'd have to uh, we'd have to risk and, and and select the coach who we believe in because nobody's got um, for unlimited. Uh, there's obviously if you want to get yourself back to the 70s, 80s, early 90s, you can you can talk about coaches or back then. But as of now, you know you'd be you'd be risking it, not risking it, but you'd be take you know choosing your best, and you're gonna have to see what they can prove. And if that works out, great. If it doesn't, then you got to start over again. So like we haven't really started, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, well, that's where I came up with like the Acro Critique series I did and some other things I've tried to do where I'm just trying to share information, first of all, fundamentally, so people are getting off on the right foot as they move into intermediate and uh, trying to work with people to help them with their snap roll technique and things like that so they aren't learning to snap yeah. the first time when they're flying advanced. You know, it, it, it takes people like me who've been through this and beaten our heads against the canopy glass a few times, you know, to, and, and people like yourself, Jeff pass on information so that people under, under us are uh, not wasting hundreds of hours and tons of money, you know, doing things that aren't going to help them out later. We need a, a really big pool of people to draw from to make a good team. That's the first thing we have to have. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, Jim, we've had you for almost two hours. Um, yeah. <laughs> and we're halfway through. This has been a lot of fun. We, I honestly, <laughs> we could have you and we're going to have you for another two and a half hours. So, uh, 
you know, clear we the rest of your day. Bulldog. I'm kind of offended we didn't talk about the bulldog. Can we talk about it real quick? Yeah, we can talk about whatever you want. I mean, I, I feel like this is way too long, but but you can edit that comment out. No, <laughs> you know, um, people love it. I I get okay. very few. Um, I've I've had tongue in cheek complaints of like, hey, you need to make these uh, podcasts shorter. Most people say uh, they like the length uh, because there's so much, inf- especially from somebody like you, so much information, and they can split this up on their commutes, you know, over you know a, sure, a couple yeah. days or or whatever. Um, but yeah, I'd love to talk about the bulldog, and then uh, we can wrap up with uh, you know promoting uh, promoting you uh, and the IAC. Okay, great. Yeah, well, the, the you guys already know about the bulldog. I'm not sure if he does. Well, why the, the bulldog? bulldog. You, what's that? Why the bulldog? Well, I love. I think it's sick. Why? Man. Yeah. Why? Well, that's it. That's why. <laughs> it's just cool. You just like the way it looks. I love it. <laughs> Everybody's asking, what are you going to do with it? I, I tell them, I'm going to look at it. Yeah. You know? That makes sense. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, it's an airplane that I've been fascinated with since the early 90s. Yeah, yeah. Um, and How the far story of it is fascinating. How far along are you in it? Well, we've um, we've reversed. We've, 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 we're less farther along than we were when we started. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, we've done almost all the research now so I think I have to set the stage a little bit so people know what we're talking about um, 1932 is kind of the golden age of air racing it's talked about and there was a, a the most famous race probably of all time was the 1932 Thompson Trophy race in Cleveland, Ohio and that's the race that Jimmy Doolittle won in the GBR1 so now everybody knows hopefully if you're an aviation fan you know what I'm talking about. If not, you can Google yep. Jimmy Doolittle and the GBR1. It's fascinating stuff. But many people don't know um, is that um, the, the Granville brothers who designed the GB, the, the, they had a guy working there named Bob Hall, who was um, the lead designer who designed the GBZ. The GBZ famously killed Lowell Bales in an accident. And uh, after that, uh, Bob Hall left the GB, the Granville brothers, and started his own company and uh, found funding to make a competitive race plane. And that sets the stage. Never understands now that the GB did win, but at that time Bob Hall was the one that was expected to win. They had the exact same engine from Pratt and Whitney. They, they didn't favor anybody. They gave the same engine to both companies. And Bob built a plane called the Hall Bulldog um, using Marion Guggenheim's money. And um, the Granville brothers built the GB R1 and the R2 at the same time. The R1 powered by a Pratt and Whitney 1340, and the R2 powered by a 985, so less horsepower. And uh, but Bob had the 1340 and had all the advantage of that and had uh, his design worked out. And it's this unbelievably beautiful kind of Art Deco, gold-winged um, GB kind of thing. If if I can't describe it, you'd have to see it. If you haven't seen it, go Google Hall Bulldog. And anyway, they got to the Cleveland, um, got to the air race, and um, they finished the plane on like August 15th, I think. Their air race was something like September 7th, so they barely got done in time. Got there. And he had engine trouble and did poorly and basically came in like fifth. But until that moment, everybody assumed that he would be very, very competitive, and he should have been. Um, after the race, Marion Guggenheim pulled the, all the funding, and they ended up destroying the airplane. So this airplane only lived for like three weeks. It only had, I don't know how many, but a couple dozen flights on it when it when it uh, was destroyed. They took the engine and used it in another airplane and, and let the carcass sit for a while, and finally it got uh, donated to the war effort, I guess, and planes lost to history. Um, so that's what the story is of the airplane. It's a really cool looking plane. It's red and black and, um, it's got this gold wing and this big fat motor up front and super huge wheel pants. And it's got this really sexy appearance. And I've just always been really fascinated with it. And especially cause I, it was a loser and Bob Hall was, I'm kind of a fan cause he went on to design the bear cat, and the tiger cat and all these rule, uh, Stinson Reliant, all these cool airplanes. 
a fa- fabulous designer. Yeah. And uh, some of the best airplanes I've ever seen, the Wildcat. I mean, holy cow, this is this is sexy stuff this guy did. And it's just too bad the guy didn't have more success. Even to come in second, you know, would have been would have been uh, really nice, but he didn't. And I've just always felt really bad for the guy, I guess, you know, and I thought his design was really cool. And I have no idea if it's should have won or could have won. It doesn't look like it's probably as clean as the GBR1 to me, but it's a lot sexier looking to me. So I've always just loved the airplane. And um, there was a project that somebody started in the late 80s, I guess. And uh, it just kind of languished in a museum for a couple decades. And I, I uh, went up to the museum and, and uh, made an offer on it and purchased that project. Then since then, we did, we've done a ton of computer analysis using all the old photos, the drawings that we found, that were some of which were provided by Jim Jenkins, the, the person who started that project, and uh, very helpful to our project. And uh, scanned everything in and really did some sophisticated analysis and determined that, um, unfortunately, the, the plans, the drawings that Jim was working under for this project are not quite right. It's, um, it's just a little too stubby. And also, we did a, a lot of work on the wing design and found out that the ribs that he built are a little bit too thick. They're not going to work for us. So we're pri- we're really just actually starting over. I, I hate that because I want Jim's work to be involved. But the reality is we just have to kind of start over. So the good news is we've done all the design work or all the analysis work. Kevin Kimball's working with us on the design, and he's he's built a GBZ replica. I'm sure you've heard. He knows of that. a few. He knows a thing or he knows, two. He knows his things. Yeah. And who, who uh, is she? So now we've got. What's that? Who is she? No, I'm scared. Wait, oh, okay. <laughs> scared me there for a second. Yeah. So we've so now we've got uh, all the, the analysis work done, and we've got uh, ribs made and spars laminated, and we're ready to build a wing. And we have uh, Kevin working on the fuselage truss and the spar or the, or the um, strut attachment points and some things like that that need to be ironed out. Um, and the goal is to have Tony working basically full time building this airplane for me, so I can fly it in air shows. And the only thing that's really kind of up to, in the air right now that's really tough is the engine choice because there's a lot of good reasons to use a 985 today instead of a 1340, but the original plane had a 1340. It's, it's like a, you know, a 1100 pound engine Jeez. on this 25 foot wingspan airplane. You know, it's like, it's like my extra with a 700 horsepower thousand pound engine in front. <laughs> but um, you know, if we go with a 985, it's gonna be a lot safer and we're not trying to run the airplane for, for 10 days of its life. We would need to last for 10 years. Right. And not sure. Carry. So we're, we're kind of debating over what engine to put in there. Nobody's nobody in the right mind would put a 1340 in there, but I might, I might do it anyway. So that's kind of where we're at with it. And that's a big design decision left, but once that decision is made, everything else will, will go from there. Oh, that's cool. And you're going to fly it in air shows, you said. Yeah. I mean, that's Hell the plan. Yeah. I, I hope people, hope people want me. I think it's going to be the coolest air show act ever. I, oh, I, that's the, I, anytime somebody has an idea that's not a high energy monoplane aerobatic act, yeah. It's like, that's yeah. going to sell, you know, yeah. and as much as I love that, like what I haven't seen you at, an, at a show, I would love to see you at an air show. And I love, love it. Love, 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 love high energy monoplane acts. But in terms of marketing, like uh, I love seeing things that are not that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a, so lot of, cool. a lot of people doing that. No one's doing a bulldog. No, <laughs> no, you're yeah, going to so- have no trouble booking shows. Yeah, I, I hope so. And I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, um, booking shows is one of the things, but just getting the airplane out there so people can see it and watch it fly. I mean, it's just a cool looking plane. It's I just so think cool. It's looking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Google pictures for those that don't, don't know what that yeah. is. Uh, just Google Hall Bulldog. Um, and then you can follow the page that Jim, I think you've started a uh, Hall yeah. Bulldog project on Facebook, you know, to kind of watch yeah. the progress. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, so we're hoping that we'll have it done. Uh, the dream would be to have it done next year. It won't happen. I know that. But we just still keep that as our goal because it helps us to be motivated. But to have it done on the 90th anniversary would be really cool, which would be August 15th of next year. And uh, feeling wow. that maybe one more year, we're hoping uh, two years would be, we think, enough to, to, build, to build it for sure. So that's kind of the dream. Oh, right cool. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. Very I'm good. Gonna, I'm just going to fly it and have a good time with it. That's the plan. Love it. That sounds like a good plan. Yeah. Love it. Awesome, Jim. Well, uh, throw out some uh, some websites and, and Instagrams and Facebooks and how, how people can follow you. Um, you know, obviously the IAC, um, you know, where people can join and 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 pay attention to all that stuff. Uh, okay. Give us all that. Yeah, sure. Stuff. Well, I mean, IAC.org is the IAC website. Of course, you can always email me at president at IAC.org. I picked that up. Uh, my personal website is jimburke.com. It's Jim and then Burke, B-O-U-R-K-E. There's an O in there just to make things confusing, but B-O-U-R-K-E dot com. And I have uh, some things on there that people might like, like my motion crop software, which lets you uh, um, kind of uh, reframe video around aerobatic aircraft. It's pretty useful. I use it quite a bit. I also have a judge role trainer on there. And I have a link to real flight at go to realflight.com, which is the RC flight simulator that I make. That's pretty fun. And otherwise I'm just kind of on Facebook and kind of everywhere, I guess. So you just reach out anytime you want and uh, ask me any questions you have. I love to help people out. Yeah. We love the posts. Um, if I had any requests, I wish she posts a little bit more about the pits and the Monaco, the Monaco mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah. Loved it when you were doing that. And uh, yeah, yeah, man, just love, uh, love everything you're doing. I think we covered everything. Um, and <laughs> uh, yeah, if we have any more questions, yeah. we'll get you back on for another six hours. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and this is a, you know, this is your platform anytime you want to, Jim, uh, anytime you you want to come to promote anything that's going on IAC or, or uh, personal air shows or otherwise. What's uh, the well, next? Jeff back on. running for a board position. Why don't we plug that, Jeff? Well, you know, yeah, Jeff, we should, we should. I don't know if you guys want me on. No, you do want me on. Do you want me on a board? I think so. Not really. Not really. No. Yeah. <laughs> bad I'll, idea. I'm still going to do it. No, um, yeah, I'm running for board of directors. I um I do want to plug uh, Dagmar. I do. I've been doing it every episode. I think that that woman is amazing um, at the opportunity she's been giving kids. Um, and I'm sure that all the other directors are great too. I know Bruce Ballou helped me out with my my uh, practice area. He's he's uh, he's done a lot for me. And um, but yeah, Dagmar, um, been telling everybody to vote for her because I think that you know she'd be able to uh, contribute a lot to the uh, organization yeah. for sure. Yeah, well, it's too bad we can't have everybody who's running because they're all really good people. Yeah, yeah, but, they're all uh, great. At the, end, at the end of the day, I think the voters have to choose between four of the directors, and uh, it's a tough choice for sure. Yeah, and you know, I yeah. was thinking about it the other day, and um, you know, it'd be an honor to get on. Uh, but a lot of the things that I I like to to help out um, at local contests or just a contest, I really don't need to be a director to do. Um, and that goes for everybody listening. You know, if you have an idea or want to do something, um, you know, talk to email Jim or, or somebody on the board yeah. or your local CD contest director and, and see what they think and just do it. Um, cause any, any kind of ideas, there's no bad idea. I don't think except for Hawaiian yeah. shaved ice. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Jeff, we just need people who are willing to work. Ideas are so cheap. Yeah. And yep. it's the implementation. That's a bitch, right? So, you know, yep. we need people who are willing to, to make these ideas happen. I get tons of ideas. I get more a day than I can possibly do anything with, but I still like to hear them. Yeah, everybody's got ideas. ideas. 
But you'll probably hear me say, okay, how do you want to solve this problem? Because that's usually where I have to go. Otherwise, I just collect ideas. It doesn't help anybody. I don't want to do that. It's, it's yeah. lame. We got to we got to get people who want to uh, pursue them as well. Yeah. Can we talk about? That's fair. Can we talk about what Mark and I actually followed through on an idea, which didn't take a lot of effort actually. Can we talk about that really quick? Because maybe somebody might want to. Uh, I guess you're going to send, yeah. send it up the uh, production right. line, right? Um, so Mark and I, everybody, listen. We created a QR code um, that you could print out. And all you got to do is you can laminate it if you want to get fancy, but print it out and put it in an FBO, put it in your hangar, put it at anywhere public where you think people will be interested in the IAC. And all these crazy millennials got to do is, or if you know how to work your iPhone or, or Droid, Galaxy, whatever, or your sidekick flip phone, um, just <laughs> turn on your camera. <laughs> you turn boomer. On your, <laughs> turn on your camera and, uh, and just go on to the QR code and it brings you right to the join IAC section where we'll take your money and let you be an IAC member and help with membership. So that's for people that you talk to the IAC about and you think they want to join. That's all you got to do. So you don't have to give them a website. You just basically show them this QR code and that thing does the rest. So that should uh, hopefully it comes it's out. Great. It's a great idea. I love it. I think people should put them above the urinals in the FBO. That's oh the my best God, place. that'd be his. No, that's I, great. I, I've been, I've been making a suggestion <laughs> on this podcast that it should be on every outhouse door inside yeah. the, every outhouse door at Oshkosh. At Oshkosh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to where you're just, you're sitting there, you're doing your thing and it's like, oh, you know that's, what? I am going to do it. Right. You're right. That could be a guerrilla marketing campaign right there. Honestly, yeah. that's, and that's what it's going to, I'm not saying that's what it's going to take, but that is a great element uh, or a great avenue to, uh, to kind of go down and, you know, put yeah. these everywhere. And that way there's no excuse. Somebody sees a cool airplane and it's like, Hey, you, you, you know, you love, you, you love Kirby Chambliss. You love what you're, uh, you're looking at right now. Scan this code. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, hey, yeah. and that's all it hey, takes. You like Mike Goulian's hair here, scan this code. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think you want- about Kirby Chambliss when you're going to the bathroom? Here's a code for you. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Oh my God. I love it. <laughs> all right, Jim. We've taken up so much of your time. We really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I hope I didn't say anything that I'm going to regret later. I don't think so. Okay. All right. I, I don't think so. I honestly don't think so. Okay. Uh, this was this is great. I, I'm really glad to talk to you guys. I, I I hope this works out really well. And I think you should split into six parts. Six parts. Yeah. 30, 31 minutes each. Yeah. <laughs> no, like uh, 22 minutes each. Yeah. What does you 20, yeah. uh, six, ah. 22 part. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks guys. Great time. Thanks so much, Jim. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Mr. President. All right, see you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Fly Cool Shit. Be sure to check out our website at www.flycoolshit.com. Subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes and Spotify. Any questions, comments, or feedback, shoot us an email at flycoolshit at gmail.com. 